Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler-Patterson and Michael Remus. Hey, what's up, everybody? Let's get it cracking here on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Great to have you with us, Andrew Patterson, along with Michael Remus. And uh, very busy show coming up today. A lot of hockey talk and a lot of other things. Some rule changes in the National Football League. Busy day here in Winnipeg on home ice, not for the Jets, but for the Manitoba Moose and the ice. MJHL playoffs continuing. And, of course, baseball season just around the corner. We will have a extended Jets segment with Jeff Hamilton coming up a little bit later on in the program. And we'll also take a trip around the National Hockey League and discuss some of the uh, things that are being talked about by the NHL GMs right now down in Florida with our good friend Stephen Wino of the AP. And a little later on to, uh, this afternoon, uh, in the second hour of the program, We'll also bring on the voice of the Manitoba Moose, the Fink himself, Daniel Fink, to set up tonight's big game against Laval for the Manitoba Moose and promote the spring break staycation game where I believe they're giving out bucket hats to fans that are arriving at the game. So, um, you know, we're going to be all over the map, tons to get to today, and it's great to have you all with us. First things first, a big shout out to our friends over at uh, our sponsors that make it happen each and every day, including F Apparel, Vita Health Fresh Market, Culligan Water, Manitoba Battery, Royal Sports, Not Auto Corp, Little Brown Jug, Princess Auto, Boston Pizza, the Nick and Nicky DQ Group, Canadian Club Whiskey, and Cool Bet Canada. And very much looking forward to Friday. A couple of, uh, well, one returning sponsor back for the summer and a brand new one involved with the Winnipeg Sports Talk family. We'll tell you about that a little later on this week. Hey, before I bring in Michael Remus, um, a quick note, folks, and especially for you podcast uh, listeners. Uh, again, if you ever have the opportunity, give us a five-star rating and a review at Apple or Spotify. Always helps us out. And if you are around your computer at some point, <clears throat> throw your boys a vote in the uh, Winnipeg Nightlife Awards, WNLA.ca. You can get on there, vote for us as the uh, top radio station slash podcast. Just love the fact that we're a finalist in that category. And of course, our friends at Little Brown Jug, Nicolinos, and more um, with all the uh, the great categories out there. So yeah, WNLA.ca. Toss a vote your way for uh, your friends over at Winnipeg Sports Talk. Let's get Michael Remus in here. Stephen Wino coming up in about 20 minutes or so. Rima, what's going on? How are you hanging in there? You uh, sort of dealing with what I had last week, which isn't a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm making uh, making my way through uh, mm. the show here, huh? So I'm, I'm doing I'm doing okay. Coffee is uh, really helping me mm. right now. Big coffee guy. It's kind of like I don't know, gives you a little boost. So uh, doing good. Looking forward to uh, today's show. Some great mm. guests with Wino. I know a lot to get to at the NHL meetings in Florida. Hamilton on the Jets and uh, of course Finca on the Moose. But uh, what's up, everyone in, in chat and uh, hey, Hustler? Um, you know what? Just we should get to this right off the bat, and it's not a Jets or a Winnipeg topic as much, but it is a hockey topic. And that was the uh, the passing of Eugene Melnick last night. Um, kind of came across uh, you know, the wire, social media, kind of mid to late evening last night. Sixty two years old, the owner of the Ottawa Senators pass away and passes away. And listen, he was a, a very um polarizing figure shall we say i mean there's a lot of things that he did that rubbed fans of the ottawa senators the wrong way and certainly ran his business in a particular way but you know as often happens people kind of run to one narrative while someone is alive i think we did know that 
you know, he was dealing with some pretty serious health issues. Um, and you pointed this out to me last year. At some point, didn't they put out a call for yeah. some sort of a transplant with fans? And at that point, you realize, holy smokes, this is serious. Um, that being said, there wasn't really a lot of news about this as we got into the hockey season. And for a lot of people, when that news was sort of well in the rearview mirror, it did somewhat catch everyone by surprise. And, um, you know, there's a lot of people that, you know, speak very highly of Eugene Melnick and said that he did, you know, a lot for them. Of course, he rescued the Senators out of bankruptcy in 2003, and they did have quite a bit of success under his watch, um, you know, falling short of winning the ultimate goal. Uh, but um, obviously a sad day for the National Hockey League and the Ottawa Senators. And, you know, what will be interesting to see going forward, you know, is what this does to the organization, um, you know, who runs the club, who owns the club, you know, whether it stays within the family, is it sold? Um, and of course, the Ottawa Senators, for their part, look into... Um, you know, get out of that, you know, red herring of arena way the heck out of town in Canada, Ontario, and hopefully have something back into Ottawa. But um, certainly, I mean, first things first, condolences to the family. Still have two relatively young daughters. I believe I heard today they're 19 and 21 years old. So, um, um, you know, a sad, sad day for uh, for uh, Ottawa sports and the National Hockey League. And, uh, you know, while again, you know, people will speak about the way that he ran the team. Um, certainly was someone that did a lot for hockey there, despite rubbing some people the wrong way. And I mean, you hope that, um, you know, obviously the family gets past this and uh, you do wonder what the future of the Ottawa Senators is right now. Nice tweet from Brady Kachuk, Pierre Dorian, a number of individuals spoke very highly from Eugene Melnick. And that was not something we really heard very often publicly. Uh, but as often happens, people really do focus on the positive when someone uh, meets their untimely passing. Yeah, 62 years old. Um... Way, way too young. And yes, in 2015, uh, he had a liver transplant. And I, you know, I was reminded that he put out the call because uh, he was a couple days away from passing if he didn't get this transplant. And uh, they were able to find a donor because they went public and extended his life a number of years. As you said, done so much for hockey in Ottawa, even if there are, you know, you do see some hashtags out there on Twitter. But, I mean, there's no doubt that he, you know, rescued the team and done a lot for hockey. They're also heavily involved in, in horse racing, uh, Hustlers. So he was in the, I think, Breeders Hall of Fame as, as well. So, uh, you know, incredible life. Eugene Melnick, way too young, 62. That's, I was, I was saddened to see that uh, last night. Yeah, no, definitely. So we thought we'd, you know, just mention that right off the top. Again, we'll talk about, you know, a number of the, the bigger hockey stories coming up with Stephen Wino. Hey, give a shout out to our guy, Maul Paris. He's been, uh, he's on the list, as they say. Many of us have been on the list as of late. It seems to be going around. Uh, hopefully, like most people, you'll kind of get through a couple of really miserable days and start feeling better. But uh, man, it is everywhere. Be careful right now, folks, especially if you haven't had it already. It seems like even the people that thought they'd gone through two years, myself included, avoiding it, uh, it got me recently, and um, obviously it's getting a lot of people right now. So be careful, govern yourselves accordingly, and uh, hopefully uh, Maul and uh, the rest of people that have been hit with it right now will be uh, will be feeling better real, real soon. Um, Jets practice today, Reem, and you know I didn't expect a lot to come out of this practice today, but it was interesting, uh, courtesy of our buddy Kenny Weeb, who's going to join us on Friday. Uh, that it does look like pretty much business as usual and uh, lineup as we saw on Sunday night in the win over the Arizona Coyotes, which means 
that Billy Hanel is going to stay in the lineup. We talked about it with Mike yesterday. I mean, I don't think there was anything that he did that would uh, you know present prevent him from being back in the lineup against the Buffalo Sabres on Wednesday night. And I know Dave Lowry had said that when they were putting Billy in, that you know Logan Stanley was a little bit banged up. I think that was just protecting the player. Um, I think it was time for Billy to get in. I think Logan had struggled, you know, over the course of the past few games. And, you know, we talked before about having a legitimate competition from some of these players in the bottom of the lineup. Um, you know, you don't really have that with the forward group right now at all. Um, it's basically who's ever there is playing outside of Adam Brooks, who's the extra. But when it comes to the blue line, you've got the five guys that seemingly the veterans on the extended contracts or mainstays. Um, but I think for a long time, many of us have been you know, hoping that maybe there'd be a little bit more legitimate competition for at least that sixth spot right now while the other guys are healthy. And, uh, you know, I know Dave Lowry kind of alluded to somewhat of an injury. I think it was based on performance. Uh, and I think Billy Hanel's performance certainly warranted him staying in the lineup tonight and or for Wednesday and certainly from practice today as he was practicing again with Nate Schmidt. Uh, it certainly looked like that is what's going to be the case for uh, this quick back-to-back heading out east. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of puzzling how he was just sitting there as a healthy scratch. I mean, this is a former first-round pick, um, and he just wasn't wasn't playing. And I think Logan Stanley kind of opened the door for to get for give them a reason to give Billy a shot. I mean, a couple giveaways uh, leading to goals it wasn't a good luck. And I think Billy's got to play, whether it's at the, the the Moose or with the Jets. And having him as a healthy scratch, I don't think it was beneficial. So. I was happy to see him get into the lineup on Sunday. You know, got an assist, got the uh, the fighter helmet from the team after, so it shows you what they think of him. And, you know, nice to see him back there with Nate Schmidt. Kind of solidified the parallel a little uh, last game, and and I was against Arizona. I mean, it's playing against Buffalo, although Buffalo had a big win uh, last night against Chicago, big comeback win. So I am looking forward to seeing Hanel get another shot, and I think that's nice to see because... It, you know, last year he was a healthy scratch for a lot of the year, and he posted the Bernie Sa- you know, the picture of him photoshopped on Bernie Sanders in the chair with the gloves. We uh, all remember. Is that is that the best Jet player Instagram post in team history? Like b- behind the money phone, or? Well, I I mean, listen, the <laughs> the money phone's one of the most most notorious. Yeah, I don't necessarily infamous. think it's the best. I mean, I don't think it did him a lot of favors. I mean, it was incredibly yeah. tone deaf at the time that it was put out. I mean, listen, if that's the off season when he's just having fun with his buddies, it's very different than when no. <laughs> you know a bunch of people are in the middle of a lockout and not working hey. and not being able to go through. Hey, how much? How much discussion are we still getting from the money phone? So <laughs> I agree with you. It's definitely the most notorious, but I guess it depends on your definition of the best. I mean, got a lot of engagement, but yeah. yeah the, that it did. That the, it did. The, a lot of eyes but, on it. But the Hainala, Bernie, like his face photoshopped on the Bernie Sanders picture after the last season. I mean, we're still talking about it. So yeah, maybe, I mean, in terms of like quality uh, content, yeah, maybe it is up there. Well, it is. Uh, it, <laughs> I, like, I don't know what would the contender would be. Like Andrew Ladd posting a picture of him catching a giant sturgeon in the, the summer, <laughs> or like Buffalo. Is there some picture of like Bufflin doing something? But that, I, if someone else uh, has one, I mean, I I don't know. I, I, I you know what? I still laugh about the the Philly the, that post last year. And I mean, listen, I think he was doing it somewhat tongue in cheek that you know he'd like to be playing, but it was it was just so well done and. 
tell you what, for a young guy to have that sort of uh, sort of confidence to put it out, I think it gives me a lot of hope that when he does actually, you know, earn a permanent job in the league, he'll have the uh, he'll have the headspace to handle the ups and downs of the National Hockey League with uh, with the plum so far. All that being said, I am looking forward to seeing him in the lineup and. Um, you know, I think you just hope that he plays at a level that, um, you know, doesn't give the uh, coach an opportunity to take him out. Listen, I mean, I I, I love Villy, and I think he's got a real bright future going forward. It, there is, and I'm not sure why this is. I think it's maybe just where we are today in uh, in the world where, especially if you're dealing with social media, you know, by supporting or being behind one guy, it means you have to be totally against the other guy. Like some of the biggest fans of Villy Hainala you know, spend most of their time, you know, shit talking Logan Stanley. And, you know, I think both of them bring, you know, certain things to to the team. Now, who's has a higher upside long term in the National Hockey League? Probably Vili Hanela, I think, with what we've seen so far. Um, but again, I think the plan always was that Logan Stanley maybe would be a little bit of a later developer. The bottom line is Logan Stanley's had some real ups and downs, but for the same token, I mean, I saw some things yesterday talking about how Billy was so great in those final games before he came out. I'll be honest. I mean, the game, and I said this on the show on the 15th of February, after being at the game on the, on Valentine's Day against the Chicago Blackhawks, I thought Billy really struggled in that game. I thought he struggled in his own end, and I thought he struggled doing the things that he brings to the table that are his best attributes, and that's his ability to move the puck out of the zone, make a good first pass, clear it out. Now, listen, the entire team looked ugly in that game, and I don't think the players were always in the right spot. But, I mean, I said after that show that I wouldn't at all be surprised if Logan Stanley went back in afterwards, and that's exactly what happened. Now, I certainly didn't think it would take a month for Hanley to get back in the lineup. Played a little bit in the moose. He's been in the press box for a little bit. Um, but listen, he played well on Sunday night. He's earned this opportunity to go forward. And, um, you know, I certainly hope Dave Lowry kind of goes, well, what have we been want, wanting under this new regime and the interim coach? A little bit more accountability. And it's very easy for the coach to kind of show you're being accountable, if you will, for young players and rookies. So, you know what? If he plays well like he did beforehand and pulls his end of the bargain, let's leave the kid in the lineup right now. And, you know, at some point, I imagine through injury or depending on where this hockey team is when it comes to faint playoff hopes, we might see both of those players, maybe even more of the youngsters get in. Uh, but right now, as long as the rest of the veterans are, are healthy, you know, those five guys are going to be in. And to me, it's going to be a battle between the two other defensemen on the lineup or in the lineup to get into into play. And right now, Billy Hanel has certainly acquitted himself well, and he will be the guy, it seems, on Wednesday against the Sabres. Yeah, and uh, all the other lines, you know, basically, as you showed them earlier, the same as before. Stasny, Shafley, Ehlers, Connor, Dubois, Wheeler, Sanford, um, Lowry, Appleton, Harkins, Tony Nato, Svechnikov, Brooks as the extra guy, Morrissey, Demello, Dylan Piuk, and Hanel Schmidt. I think, you know, the defense is going to be something we're talking about all offseason. It's funny how it dominated last season. Uh, we thought that it was fixed, but now you have the problem where you have too many of these young guys who've came in and played well, they're, they're all blocked because you have Morrissey, DeMello, Dylan, Pionk, and Schmidt signed to these you know, contracts going out, but all of them at least three more years. And then you have you know, Stanley, Hainala, um, who Chisholm came in and played well, but also Sandberg and Kovacevic. You have all these guys. Like, What do you do with so many guys? And who, who are you going to, I mean, who are you going to 
Well, let me put this question to you. Let me put this question to you because I talked about it with Mike yesterday. Yeah. And he said, if we're going to, like, let's set the over-under on number of, and I'm just using those five defensemen. The over-under on 1.5 defensemen moved in the offseason. Is it over or under? I mean, I think one of them, I mean, yeah. you just you, you mean you have to open at least one uh, another spot. But I mean, do you think they're at the point where they might potentially move two of them and have, you know, an opening for essentially, you know, you're looking at a defense with three of the veterans from this season, Logan Stanley, Billy Hanela, and potentially Dylan Sandberg, Johnny Kovacevic, Declan Chisholm in that mix. I think you can make an argument that that's the right thing to do for the club. Um, although I will say easier said than done when it comes to trading those players, especially a guy like Nate Schmidt. I mean, I think Nate Schmidt would be a guy that despite what he brings to the room, what he brings on the ice compared to what you're paying him probably would make him the guy that you might want to trade first out of those five defensemen. That being said, um, I'm not too sure how movable that contract is. Although, He's been moved the last two summers for uh, for draft picks and, you know, moved to other teams. So, I mean, I guess nothing's impossible at that time. But where do you come out on that, Remus? Do you think it'll just be one yeah. move or will it be a more significant change to the blue line? And hit us up and chat with your thoughts. I think, I think ideally when you're constructing a roster, you want to have your bottom, like two of your defensemen, two of the six, be guys on low salary contracts so you can, you know, be within the salary caps. If you have them on, you know, Hainala, and someone else on an entry-level deal together, then you can use some of that money on the forwards. The problem is, who do you who do you trade? I mean, I think the guys who are the most wanted by other teams would be Dylan, Brandon Dylan, and Dylan DeMello. But those are the guys who the Jets probably don't want to trade. So I, I think Brandon Dylan brings an element of toughness that none of them none of them have. So. Um, Morrissey, I think he's got a, a long, expensive contract, and he's your number one guy. I don't think he's going anywhere. Pionk, you know, he's having a, a down year, maybe because he's a bit banged up. They're kind of, you know, kind of hearing a little bit about that. We're not sure. So, you know, as much as Dylan DeMello, the metrics will say he's the best defender on the team, he might be the most attractive and the easiest one to trade, and, and you can bring someone in as much as you don't want to, but you have to free up money so you can get some depth forwards and make room for the lower pair, sorry, for the defensemen that are coming in, you got to get well, these guys. And, and ha- here's the thing: I mean, let's play. just talk about a guy like Schmidt, because as I mentioned, you know, yeah. at nearly six million dollars, that's not an easy contract to trade. Oh, but right. I, but I mean, I mean, I do think there'll be an opportunity elsewhere in the league for potentially a guy that is in maybe a similar situation than Nate Schmidt is, slightly overpaid with a year or two left on their contract, that might be available from another team in some sort of a swap because. I mean, in the situation the Jets are in right now, they certainly do need some more help up front. And while you're maybe not going and signing a guy to a deal at five or six million dollars, I think within the way the team's cap framework works right now, you can probably handle that on the club. And the ability to shift that cap um, dispensation from the blue line to the forward group, get a little bit deeper in the bottom six, even as potentially an overpay on that particular contract, and at the same time move a Kovacevic, a Sandberg, a Hanela into the uh, into the top six of your blue line at a much much lower cap hit. I mean, looking at this team this year, I think that there's um, there's a lot of reason to think that that would be a, a move that would benefit the Jets, and I think Kevin Sheveldayoff would be interested in making. Yeah, I think. Well, I think. I would maybe lean under. I think, you know, you can play. You have the one spot open, right? So 
I mean, the first option would be to try to move Nate, Nate Schmidt if you have to eat some salary or include a pick. But you gave up, the Jets gave up, what, a second round pick for like him? A third round. A third, third round, round pick. Two some... second rounders for Dylan, yeah. a third rounder for Schmidt. And to be honest, I mean, looking at that, I mean, you could say somewhat it's part of what they bring, you know, on the ice. Uh, but the other part of it was simply the contract. And, um, you know, if Nate Schmidt is... You know, two million a year instead of six million a year, uh, you're paying a lot more to get it. So, I mean, listen, yeah, you're yeah. given the third round pick, but you're also assuming that contract. Vancouver didn't ma- retain any of that salary, so it does make it probably the most challenging of the five contracts to move. If you yeah. decided to do it. Yeah, maybe there's more. Ro- I mean, there's more room. You know, teams have in the off season. They need a puck moving defenseman, and I agree with the bar flies and chat. Schmidt contract is too expensive for a third pairing team. I know he's got a lot of. He's actually been pretty good for point production but if you're going to play him on the third pair i mean six mil too much so i think you look at moving him first and maybe you can find a taker i would say that would be your your first option but if you have to you know you have to do something else maybe um you know i wouldn't want to move brandon Dillon or Dylan demello but i mean if no one wants if you have to move salary and nobody wants to take on a certain player's contract then you have to look at alternatives so um, I would say I'm gonna say one and under one and a half. I don't think two. Unless can you kind a young player? Like, do they think they trade one of their young defensemen for a younger, you know, a, a similar forward? I, I don't know. Well, I mean, we'll see. Spongen C says keep them all, quit playing Monopoly, and Mark Sports Video says new coaches with new defensive system before releasing anyone. Well, guys, I mean, that's all fine and dandy to say, but that just means I mean, are you fine with having as much money as the Jets have distributed to the blue line right now, being the case going into next season? And are you fine with potentially losing or have to trade some of the prospects once they become? Like, I don't have in front of me who's uh, no longer waivers exempt next year, but, you know, you're starting to get into that into that point with some of those players. Um, and then the other thing is, I mean, do you want Billy Hainla to potentially be playing in the minors or in the press box again next year? And I think... You know, I would say the majority of uh, people that watch this team realize that they are ready for for somewhat of a change on the blue line. So to me, that's a much bigger, bigger uh, picture question that we'll probably be asking as soon as the uh, Jets season is finished and we get into the offseason. Uh, will be a very interesting draft week now that, uh, you know, a few more picks have been acquired by the Winnipeg Jets that maybe weren't there before the trade deadline. And of course, we've uh, also got to see what happens with the New York Rangers in the playoffs because if the rangers can somehow pull off a couple series wins that second rounder or one of the two second rounders for andrew cop becomes a first rounder uh in the upcoming draft in montreal all right uh we'll get remus back in here in a bit jeff hamilton coming up and we will tee up the moose game tonight a uh, team back at home after that long homestand but steven wino coming up in just a second uh do you want to thank the sponsors that make this show happen including our friends over at f apparel Winnipeg owned business down at 190 Smith Street with uh, Winnipeg's best and most affordable custom suits for men and not just suits dress shirts chinos golf pants untucked dress shirts shoes ties accessories and more every guy needs at least one suit that fits and looks great and uh, with weddings happening again grads and whatnot when uh, F apparel is the place to be they're the top choice in Winnipeg for wedding and grad suits Great deals for your entire wedding party if you get your suits from F. Talk to them about that. And if you do have a high school graduate, bring down, show them your valid high school ID before their big day in June, and they'll get a free shirt and tie along with their suits. You can get fully decked out starting at just 400 bucks. F Apparel, 
ephapparel.com online and 190 Smith Street downtown. Uh, our friends at Vita Health Fresh Market continue being the go-to place in Winnipeg for the best selection of natural and organic supplements, beauty products, and groceries. And not just groceries, some amazingly delicious and healthy lunch options like Vita Market salads, soups, and sandwiches at their grab-and-go deli. And if you can't make it into the store, visit their brand new fully shoppable website to buy online or schedule a delivery with Instacart. Vita Health Fresh Market now with seven Winnipeg locations, including the newest store in Linden Ridge, and they're online at myvita.ca. And while we're uh, living healthy with plenty of trips over to Vita Health Fresh Market, it always starts with hydration and a great water source. And when you think water in Winnipeg and Southern Manitoba, there's only one place to go. And that is the experts at Culligan who have been doing it for over 65 years as the go-to people for water and water services in Winnipeg and Southern Manitoba. You can pop by and see them at 1200 Sargent Avenue or give them a call at 694-5180. They've got it all, water softeners, filters, bottled water coolers, whole home systems, drinking water systems, not to mention citywide delivery services. And if you've got water needs for your business, talk to them about commercial and industrial water products and solutions available at Culligan Water. You can also check them out online at drinkculligan.com. All right, let's talk some puck and welcome in our good friend Stephen Wino from the AP. Wino was uh, covering the uh, Capitals game last night. And uh, let's just say... It uh, was not a very banner evening for the Caps, who got thumped by the Carolina Hurricanes. Stephen, what's going on? It's great to have you back on the show in the peg. How are you? Good to see you, Hussar. I'm great. How are you? Uh, doing well, doing well. A little under the weather last week, but uh, we got through it. The uh, trade deadline was quite interesting, and now we're sort of post-deadline making it. Let's just go back to last week, though. I mean, what did you make of the entire you know, time leading up to the trade deadline and were you surprised at how aggressive some of the contenders were and the amount of first-round picks that were doled out by teams that seemingly have a very good chance of uh, deep playoff runs this spring? Sure. You know what doesn't win Stan the Stanley Cup? Draft picks. And if you're Julian Breezeball, it you, you trade your first-round pick for Barclay Goudreau and Blake Coleman, and it works out. And you trade more now for, for Brandon Hagel. It... it you see that the almost the arms race, specifically in the Eastern Conference, but Calgary and and Colorado as well. Just it almost felt like teams needed needed to make moves to match other teams' moves. And and, and Ron Hextall even said, "I didn't feel like I had to make a move." And then they end up with Ricard Raquel and, and Brian McClellan goes and gets Marcus Johansson and, and Johan Larson, and that's a, a minor move compared to Max Domi to Carolina. Everything the Rangers did, obviously with with Andrew Kopp. Tyler Mott and, and Justin Braun, the Bruins get Lindholm. It, it's almost like everyone was one-upping each other, specifically in Eastern Conference, because it's going to be a dogfight in the playoffs. And and what it did to, to me... A little bit of a loss there with Wino. We'll hopefully get uh, get a reconnection right away. We uh, we just lost him. I'm not sure exactly sure what happened there. You know what? I think we're going to need to reconnect. But, you know, he does make a great point. I mean, it really did turn out to be somewhat of an arms race. I mean, when Tampa dropped it and uh, went for Brandon Hagel with the two first round picks as well as two prospects. I think you realize that uh, they were all business and looking to do something that, you know, no one had done since what's the eighties with a three peat. Um, something that the bombers are going to be trying to do for the first time since the eighties coming up this year in the Canadian football league. Um, so it certainly did end up being somewhat of an arms race. Steven, yeah, sorry, we lost you there just when you were comparing some of the, uh, you know, the incredibly aggressive moves, particularly from the Florida teams with the first round picks that went out the door. Yeah, and look, one team's going to win the Stanley Cup. Don Waddell said that. 
but it's, it's going to be a dogfight in the East and the West to get out of there, right? I mean, you could pick any of 13, maybe 14 teams are going to get in the playoffs and say that team could be hoisting the end of June. It wouldn't be surprising. It just it, it just feels like the playoffs, are, they're always a grind, but it feels going to be particularly a grind after the move the contenders made. The yeah, no doubt about that. Now, as far as the West goes, um, Calgary, you know, sort of got out early. And, you know, they got Tyler Toffoli. They uh, they added, oh, it looks like we've lost one again. Rima, you want to just give him a phone call? Yeah, that's, let's do, let's do it on the horn to, uh, just to make sure we don't, uh, we don't lose, uh, you know, to me, the, the battle. And we're going to see these two teams playing tonight. And I'm going to get into this a little bit later on. We break down the cool bet lines, but there's 10 40 win teams in the National Hockey League. And four games tonight feature head to head matchups between. 40 win teams and one of those games is calgary and uh and colorado unfortunately no nate mckinnon for colorado and i say that unfortunately because we did the lock shop earlier and i thought geez plus 103 on the on the avalanche right on well now it's about plus 119 so we'll get to that later on uh but there really is in a lot of ways um you know there has been an arms race but in the west it sort of seems like there's two teams but I'm interested to get Stephen's thoughts on the Minnesota Wild too. I mean, they were able to uh, beat the uh, beat the uh, Abs on Sunday night in overtime, and after that real tough start to the um, after that real tough start to the you know the post All Star break period of the schedule, the Wild have uh, totally totally straightened the ship right now. And uh, you know, you add Mark Andre Fleury, and you know who knows? Maybe there should be no. Hey, Stephen, can you hear me? Okay, I can hear you great. Can you hear me now? Perfect. Yeah, yeah, we're all good. So, uh, yeah, let's just get back to what you're talking about. Calgary and Colorado have sort of been the the teams, at least over the past month and a half, it sort of seemed to be on a collision course. Uh, but I was pretty interested in what the Minnesota Wild did as well, and we saw the way they handled the avalanche on Sunday night with that overtime win. That uh, um, There are some other teams that certainly plan to upset that planned conference final between the Flames and Avalanche. Yeah, and, and, and we could be on a crash course, honestly, Husser, for, for a battle, battle of Alberta in, in, in one division and, and something like Colorado, Minnesota, or Colorado, St. Louis in, in the Central. And these are going to be heavyweight series. And, and that's the one thing that, like, we, we, you don't want to start crowning Colorado or, or Calgary for that very reason because even if they get, in, get past a, a first-round matchup, it's not going to be easy, Colorado facing a St. Louis, Colorado facing a Nashville, a, a Minnesota there because – the wild, they the questions was with them was Cam Talbot and goaltending, and now since they got Mark Andre Fleury, Cam Talbot's been the best goalie in the NHL. So go figure on that one. And and Dean Evason uh, has his team playing hard. Always has his team playing hard. Kirill Kaprizov adds some that that kind of talent that's hard to find around hockey. And the, the wild are going to be a tough out. I look, I still you're, you're going to make me put a, a money line bet on anybody to come out of the West. It's going to be Calgary or Colorado. But it's going to be a, it's going to be hard. And and, and the wild. If you get the kind of goaltending out of either Talbot or Flurry or both during a playoff series, the only Achilles heel I think Colorado has might be Darcy Kemper in goal and, and maybe kind of outscoring their problems a little bit defensively and in goal. And at that point, it, it becomes hard to win playoff series like that, as, as we've seen the Capitals over the years and the Maple Leafs in recent years learn that, learn that lesson the hard way. Stephen Wino with the AP is with us here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. You can follow him on Twitter at S Wino. Uh, Stephen, let's talk about some of the uh, topics that are being uh, kicked around at the at the GM meetings right now. Um, you know, we knew that a lot of GMs were rubbed the wrong way by Nikita Kucherov missing the season, coming back, and the team playing way over the cap and winning the cup. I mean, similarly a few years ago with Patrick Kane, 
there's the potential, I guess, that the Vegas Golden Knights actually make the playoffs. They could be in a similar situation. What are you hearing about discussions between the league and the PA as to that issue? And, you know, is there any any possibility that will be agreed to anytime soon? Or is this something that really needs to, you know, be talked about the next time they sit down for collective bargaining? I think we need to forget about it entirely. Uh, why, why would the players honestly accept something like that uh, and, and, and change the system? There's nothing in it for players unless you get some sort of playoff bonus system beyond kind of winner's share sort of thing out of, of kind of agreement like this. And to me, this is something that I think we're overstressing about. Every, every GM in the league, if they had an opportunity to, to use the kind of LTIR loophole, would do it. And to have a, a salary cap in the regular season is one thing. Players don't get paid in the playoffs. We, we want to see the best hockey and the best teams in the playoffs. And, and, and putting a, a, a hard cap on the playoffs, even if it's just whatever, the, the 20 guys who are, are in the uniform that night, it, it does nothing but make the product worse, really. And, and there were a few complaints. Obviously, Dougie Hamilton made his comment about playing a team that was $18 million over the cap. And people might do the same thing with Florida or Vegas this year. But this is not a big problem to me and i think ultimately at the, at the end of this week the gms are going to say we're going to keep the system as is if it happens far more often figure out another solution other than this the only thing that i'll say when you ask about what's in it for the players is i mean you know this is this is specifically helped a very small group of players on a few teams and like dougie hamilton i mean i would imagine that the rank and file of the national hockey league that's not in this situation is going well wait a second why are we at such a big disadvantage going in to the playoffs playing against a team that's so much over the cap when we're essentially like most other teams you know working on an entirely different rule like i would be fascinated to know if you actually pulled nhl players how they feel about it because it's certainly not going to harm them financially if they stick to the cap i mean as we mentioned everyone's getting paid the same um you know from the regular season and then the playoffs are you know set out uh, as an entirely different system yeah, and, and I, but I think what you would say to players, if, if I were a Lightning player talking to somebody on another team, I'd say, that could be you next time. You could be on that team where you just happen to get hurt right before the deadline, your team goes and, and loads up, and you win a championship. It, it's not like winning the lottery because you don't want to see anybody get hurt, but I, it, it would be interesting to see kind of the, the, the 700-plus players in the league, where they stand on this, because I don't, I don't think there's a whole lot of, of strong opinions about it, and that's why, even from a GM standpoint, I'm not sure there's enough juice to actually make a change here. Stephen Wino's with us here on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. A um, couple of the other things that have been, and I know they're going to have a further talk about this topic next meeting at July. Obviously, it won't have anything happening. Um, I Listen, you've covered this league for a long time. Have you ever seen anything as bizarre as the Evgeny Dadanov trade saga coming out of the deadline? And uh, just your thoughts on what that does, speaking of teams that are over the cap, to the Vegas Golden Knights. And what changes might we, we see coming out of what was certainly an embarrassing situation for Vegas, to be honest, and the National Hockey League as a whole? Yeah, it was it, it was embarrassing, and 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 it certainly I think we will see a, a change in in the as soon as physically possible in the NHL Central Registry, which which handles all these all the trades and and signings and such. We'll have somewhere locked away a list of every player's no trade protection somewhere. They they really do want to keep the circle small and not have a whole lot of that out because if it's Anaheim or if it's Winnipeg, if it's Buffalo, if it's Washington, wherever, you don't want teams kind of offended by players not wanting to go there. You don't want these lists necessarily to be public, but someone's got to have this. It's, it's almost like, how did this happen? 
a situation like that. And and there were some nefarious things that, that happened in the situation. And, and I've seen reports about blaming the senators. It's not the senator's fault. Uh, but the, the NHL has, has singled out kind of where the blame lies on this, even if they're not saying it publicly. They, they know who was in the wrong in the situation. Um, and, and now the, the Vegas Golden Knights uh, are in, they're in, a, they're in a tough spot. This is, this is, uh, I, I don't know what kind of poker analogy to pull here, but they're in trouble uh, in salary cap to the point where they're not going to be able to activate Mark Stone and Alex Martinez from LTIR before the end of the regular season. And you're looking at, at, at they're technically in a playoff spot right now. Dallas Stars have a bunch of games in hand on them. The Jets are, are, are chasing them. I know it might be a, a tough kind of math problem for, for the Jets and the Canucks to make up space there. But the Stars have four games in hand on, on Vegas. And without kind of activating these guys before the end of the regular season, including getting maybe Robin Leonard back at some point, I don't know how, how the Golden Knights kind of keep pace in the Western Conference. And it's going to be fascinating to see the chaos that unfolds in Vegas with Bill Foley, Kelly McCrimmon, Pete, Pete DeBoer, and all of that, if this team that would be, I guess, in theory, $10 million over the salary cap somehow misses the playoffs. It would be wild because it, it, the, the, the Vegas Golden Knights have quickly gone from kind of the, the lovable expansion team to the biggest villains in hockey, without a doubt. Oh, exactly. I mean, it was kind of funny to see the reaction from around the league and, uh, you know, with everything that happened with the Dadunov trade. And I don't think you would have had that with many other teams other than Vegas. And Hey, you know what? There are some people that have been jealous of their success. It's been an incredible story, uh, but they have certainly done things their own way. And you mentioned Bill Foley. I mean, I have the exact same questions. If this does not end up in their favor and they miss the playoffs, um, you know, I mean, this is a guy that fired Gerard Gallant way earlier than anyone could have possibly imagined. I mean, their pressure to win is different, I think, in Vegas because of the successes that they've had so far. And if they miss the playoffs and do it in the under the black cloud of one of the most embarrassing non-trades in recent league history, you do wonder if there will be individuals that have to pay the price with their jobs in Sin City. Yeah, and, and you mentioned like it, what the reaction would be if another team did this. There's no other team that would do this. That, that's, that's the problem here. And, and, I, and I think that's the reputation now that, 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 that uh, the, the, hockey, the hockey operations department in Vegas has. And, but you're, you're right. Bill Foley has shown uh, a lack of patience, to, 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 to put it kindly, about kind of whether it's personnel moves or roster moves or, or, or kind of wanting the next big guy, Jack Eichel, Alex Petrangelo, Mark Stone, uh, and, and, and firing Galan and, and, and kind of moving George McPhee upstairs to keep Kelly McCrimmon and, it's been a lot of, of, it doesn't seem like hands-on, it seems like Kelly McCrimmon's driving the ship, but it, it is Bill Foley who put all this money into this team and wants to win so badly. It's not, it, I don't want to compare it to, 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 to Jerry Jones, Dan Snyder, because it's not apples to apples, but an owner who so badly wants to win that it comes sometimes spins out of control. And I, you have to imagine if this team somehow misses the playoffs, after all these moves, after trying all this, after the dad enough thing, if it is not a complete house cleaning, and this is not on George McPhee, he's so much doing uh, on the business side and kind of running a lot of the marketing stuff that's been great for the Vegas Golden Knights, but I think everyone else kind of in that, that hockey department might be in trouble. Stephen Wino with us on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Wino, I mean, one of the things that, I mean, listen, we lost so much over the last couple of years, um, you know, from, uh, you know, due to COVID. Um, some things more trivial than others, but from a sports fan's perspective and a hockey fan's perspective, losing the best-on-best best tournament at the Beijing Olympics was devastating for so many. It's been a full eight years since a legitimate best-on-best best tournament has happened. 
but it looks like it is on track for 2024 to have a World Cup. It won't be Team North America before. It'll be the countries. But what are you hearing about that World Cup? What do we know about how it's going to work, when it will be played, how the schedule will be, will be handled around it, um, uh, and what should we be getting excited for come not next year, but the following? Yeah, lots of moving parts on, on kind of exactly what the format is. But it sounds like the leading talk right now is a, a six-team tournament uh, with some sort of, of qualifying situation or doing a, a Team Europe. Uh, I think that possibility does exist again. The, the, the biggest question to me, and, and, and yes, it's going to be in that February kind of Olympic time frame uh, that, that the NHL likes. I think they, they like even numbers on these. I would have loved to see something between U.S. Thanksgiving and Christmas kind of just before you kind of really get into the stretch run and all those sort of things. Guys are in shape at that point. But it, it will be somewhere in that February range. Uh, locations or locations still to be determined. The biggest question for me now is what do you do with Russia? And, and, and we don't know what the world situation is going to be like by 2024 or by the time decisions have to be made on this. Do you have a, you can't ignore the Russian talent in this league, Alex Ovechkin, Evgeny Malkin, uh, Kucherov, Vasilevsky. The team will be incredible, but what will the team be? Uh, will this be kind of an Olympic athletes from Russia sort of situation where this is a team playing with an NHL crest instead of a Russian flag sort of situation? Uh, I, that, that is a question that remains to be seen. And depending on, I guess, where the, the, the war in Ukraine stands at that point, where we're at on sanctions and that, and that sort of thing. But to me, that's the biggest outstanding question that needs to be answered right now. You could play a 16 tournament. You could play an 18 tournament. I, I think that the, one of the other big questions the league is, is kind of wrestling with right now and the PA as well is how many non-NHL players do you really want in this? You could probably do a, a Sweden, U.S., Canada, uh, and, and maybe Finland and maybe Russia of all NHL players. But if you have a Germany in there, if you have a Slovakia, a Czech Republic in there, Switzerland, you're going to have two or three NHL players on these teams and a lot of guys from European leagues. And, and I don't know kind of what the NHL and the NHLPA are shooting for in terms of kind of how much talent outside the league they want. Yeah, well, I mean, listen, that's a great point. I would imagine that they would uh, want and be pushing for as much NHL participation as possible. But again, if we're going to have a World Cup of Hockey and we're trying to have it be the best on best, and if some of these countries' best players are not playing in the National Hockey League, in my opinion, they should be out there to maintain the integrity of this event that you know has been such a long time in coming. Hey, speaking of Russia and the situation um, you know, over with what's happening in Ukraine, you, of course, cover the Washington Capitals most closely. They're the heaviest Russian team in the league. Alex Ovechkin at the top. And what's it been like around the Caps for the last month or so? And how has this, um, how has the, you know, the world political situation affected uh, the Capitals and the Russian players on the roster? It's been surreal. And, and, and when you step back, and, and, and there were moments very early on in, in the invasion where Alex Ovechkin scoring big goals while Russian troops, again, this is not, Alex Ovechkin's not, not the one who ordered any of this at all, but it, it, just kind of the surreal backdrop of the U.S. Capitol and Alex Ovechkin scoring goals and getting cheered, and yet, and then there's Russian troops uh, uh, attacking and lighting Chernobyl on fire, and it's a very kind of a weird thing. Uh, Alex Ovechkin addressed it um, to his credit uh, early on uh, because of his previous support, longstanding support for Vladimir Putin. He, he did have to address the situation, but it's not like he's getting asked about it every day. It's not like this is kind of his call. It's, it's, it's kind of, it's weird because there's a compartmentalization, I think, going on for most of us uh, around the capitals and Russian players and Alex Ovechkin in particular, that some people 
don't believe in and think he either shouldn't be playing, those sort of things. I think if you can set aside kind of the political part of it and say he's a hockey player who is very from Russia and is very proud of being from his home country, and, and you can set that aside, it, it's been incredible to watch him play. He's scoring a million goals. It, it's He and, and Nick Backstrom are playing together, and, and this may be one of the last years this team is, is really a contender because uh, it's going to get bad. The salary cap's going to happen. These guys are going to get older. It's, it, it's been fun to watch. Uh, in Edmonton, he got booed a little bit. I was on, on that trip. He got booed a little bit in, in, in Calgary as well. But he's, he passed Jeremy Yager in the middle of all this. And his family and his wife and, and kids are stuck in, in Russia and can't get home. So I, it, it's such a very weird kind of human element time in that he's playing some of the best hockey of his career. And he misses his family. And, and he's sad that they're not there. And, and, he, and he can't say too much because they're, they're, they're stuck there. It's, it's a very weird time. To, to really kind of look at the the mix uh, between what's happening in hockey and what's happening in, in world politics. We focus so much on Ovi for obvious reasons, but what about the other Russians on the squad? I think it was tough on them early, and I think it weighed on them because they all have family back home, and and not not in Ukraine, but in in Russia, and things are bad. the The, the economy's tanked there. Uh, there's food shortages, those sort of things. You, you get you worried about getting arrested for protesting. Uh, I think I think very early on when this started, it was really tough. And I, and I think they've found and and Evgeny Kuznetsov in particular, I think has found a refuge in hockey and Dmitry Orlov a little bit as well. Just refuge in going on the ice and not worrying about it. And and even some of the Ukrainian folks I was talking to at a junior hockey team in, in Vegreville, Alberta. It, to them, it's the, the hour practice time or, or the, the two-hour game is time that they don't have to worry about this. And then they go back to worrying about it. And so I, I think there's some element of that. Steven, let's quickly look at the games tonight. I was just doing a little bit of uh, impromptu math. There's 10 40-win teams right now in the National Hockey League. And there are four games tonight in the league pitting 40 win teams going head to head and all of them could be potentially very juicy playoff matchups. Uh, let's start off with the Penguins and the Rangers. Penguins have quietly had um, one of the best seasons in the league so far. They add Ricard Raquel. They seem to be trending in the right direction right now and going up against a Rangers team that certainly doesn't have the underlying numbers of some of the other 40 win teams, but they've got a goaltender plan as well as anybody on the planet. What do you make of those two teams heading into tonight and the postseason? Yeah, and, and these two teams are almost locked into playing in the first round. Unless the Capitals go light on fire and, and one of these teams drops off, this is a first-round playoff preview. And it's, it's very much a new-school, old-school playoff matchup to me. It's, it's just you've got the, the, the Penguins who have been there, and they've, they've retooled. There's only five guys left from those 16-17 those uh, playoff Stanley Cup winning teams, but it's still Crosby, it's still Malkin. Jeff Carter's been a great fit there. Ricard Raquel looks like a great fit there. It, it, they're almost they're polar opposites. This is a team that the, the Penguins are, are winning in spite of their goaltending, and, and goaltending is their biggest question. And then you've got the Rangers, who are winning because of their goaltending. And, and Igor Shesterkin is in the conversation for the Hart Trophy as league MVP for that very reason, that he's carried them there. And I think for a game like tonight and for the seven-game series that they're about to play, it's a matter of... Can, can Igor Shesterkin carry, uh, steal a series, essentially? Because I think the Penguins are a better team. The Rangers seem like they're ahead of schedule. The Penguins are, are amazingly, thanks to, to Ron Hextall in a, in a big way, they've been able to keep their window open. And we always keep thinking, well, this is the year they'll fall, fall apart. This is the year that they'll take a step back, and they don't. 
and, and it's, it's it's incredible on Sidney Crosby and Chris Letang and those guys that they haven't, and, and that Ron Hextall has been able to retool that. Uh, I, I think the, the Penguins are the seasoned team. The Rangers, it, it would take, I think, Igor Shosturkin to kind of stand on his head to, to win a, a playoff series against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, six o'clock our time tonight. It's the Leafs and Bruins, both with 41 wins, both with identical records. In fact, 41, 19 and five. Uh, we talked before about pressure on Vegas to perform. The pressure in Toronto is unlike anywhere else in the National Hockey League because of the incredible drought since they actually won around what they're paying their top players. And of course, the epic choke job blowing the 3-1 lead to the Montreal Canadiens last year. Uh, and meanwhile, the Bruins have just quietly been getting better week after week after week. Uh, where are you at on these two teams right now as they look ahead to the postseason? When you said epic choke job, I had to think of which one um, because there have been a few of those by the Leafs over the years. Um, yeah, yeah, no, but, and, and the, the Bruins, it doesn't feel like that sort of pressure is there because as much as their guys are getting older and Bergeron's closer to the end than the beginning, this is a team that, that, that has quietly kind of turned over the roster a little bit. Jeremy Swayman's a young goaltender, so you're just kind of opening into his window here. Uh, David Pasternak's still young. You got, go and get Hampus Lindholm and, and extend him for, for eight years. This is a team that they're, they can kind of retool on the fly a little bit, similar to what the Penguins have done, and kind of keep taking shots at it. It feels like the Maple Leafs are, are another playoff series away from hitting the, the, the TNT button and blowing it all up. Because how long can you, definition of insanity is doing the same thing over, over and over again and expecting different results. If Jack Campbell or Peter Morazic or Eric Cogren or whoever they have in goal can't stop a beach ball and you can't outscore your problems or those, those guys get cold, and you lose a playoff series, a first-round series to either could be Boston, could be Carolina, could be Florida, could be Tampa Bay. Uh, it, get your popcorn ready for what's going to happen in, in Toronto because the pressure is on the Maple Leafs to do something, and that playoff bracket is going to be absolutely brutal. Like No one would blame them in, in a vacuum for losing to the Lightning or the Bruins or, or the Panthers in a seven-game series in the first round, but after seeing the same play over and over again, Something's got to give. And, and you could tell me the Leafs lose in five games in the first round or win the Stanley Cup, and nothing would surprise me with that team. Well, it would surprise me if they won the Stanley Cup, to be honest with you. But uh, that's just maybe because what we're used to seeing from the Leafs in the springtime. Uh, and you'd have to think that Kyle Dubas knows the uh, pressure on the organization's shoulders. And in fact, they may need to win a round or two for him to be back running the show uh, next year. Hurricanes Lightning's a fascinating one. I mean, the, uh, the uh, Lightning. A um, couple of games behind the uh, Hurricanes in the um, a couple of games of the Hurricanes in the standings, uh, but I mean honestly, Stephen, one of the most um, lethal teams in the league, and Carolina's been elite all season long. And the funny thing is, right now, the way things are, the Lightning could potentially be a wild card team if that's possible, and this could be a first round matchup, but pretty juicy one tonight on the slate. Yeah, that's what I mean about the Atlantic Division bracket. It's going to be it's going to be brutal to get through there. Uh, I just saw Carolina in, in, in Washington last night, and 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 the, the the takeaway for me is, hey, that's a really good team, and that's a deep team. Jesperi Kakaniemi gets hurt with 1.8 seconds left on a questionable hit by Lars Eller uh, that he got penalized for. Just a, kind of an unnecessary play at that point in the game. Wasn't putting any weight on his left leg. Probably out long term. Uh, not not good for Carolina, but that team is so deep, and 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 at least seven defensemen deep. They're going to get Jordan Martin look back. And you're going to have guys out of the lineup who are legitimate NHL players. Mac, adding Max Domi to that mix. Carolina, if Freddie Anderson stays healthy, uh, is going to be a juggernaut. Auntie Ranta starts tonight. 
against Tampa because Rob Brindamore really wanted to make a statement and beat the Capitals last night in Washington, and, and Fred, Frederick Anderson had a nice game. The Lightning, they're just sitting there resting, and they're just lying in wait to make another playoff run, right? Like, this is, this is a team that absolutely could win it again, but you're starting to see signs, just like a little bit with Igor Shosturkin, of, of kind of he's played a lot of games and wear and tear. Nobody's played more hockey over the last two years than the Tampa Bay Lightning, and, and I think at some point – you, you get into a playoff series against the Boston, uh, Carolina, maybe Florida, uh, those kind of teams that eventually they're going to they're gonna run out of gas. I, I, I love games like this tonight because you're going to see kind of the, the, what the sprouts of a playoff series would be like. We saw that with the Capitals and, and Hurricanes last night and Brendan Smith and Tom Wilson throwing down with one of the best fights I think I've ever seen in person. Uh, a, a game like tonight, you've got Rod Brindamore and John Cooper who are, are kind of mad scientist coaches. Are they going to show a lot? Are they going to kind of hold something back? Are they going to test some things? Because knowing that, that you could see a team in the playoffs at this time of year, it, you're keenly aware of it uh, as, as a coaching staff and, and, and maybe not as players, but there's a certain amount of kind of X's and O's that they do or don't want to show. And that's what's fascinating about a game like this is it's almost a schedule loss probably for Carolina, given that they played in Washington last night, emotional game. They lose Kotkin in the Emmy. They're playing their backup goalie. But this is, they're going to probably empty the tank uh, against Tampa, knowing that they could see them in a, in a month and a half or so. Well, and uh, last one for you, Wino, and we kind of mentioned the Avalanche and the Flames earlier in the, this segment, but uh, they're going head-to-head tonight. We've seen a big move in the line today because it doesn't look like Nate McKinnon is going to play, which might take a little bit away from this marquee matchup. But uh, still two teams with a ton of talent. This should be a great one. And uh, wouldn't it all be surprised if they're playing seven of these in a month or two? Oh, that'll be a blast. And, and, and particularly the, the style of games of, of just the, the flames and, and Daryl Sutter and, and kind of wanting to, to almost lock it down and have the ability to, to outscore teams, as we saw with that game against the Oilers the other night. And, and the Avalanche, who do want to outscore you and may have some, some kind of questions in goal, unless Darcy Kemper can kind of find his game. Uh, it, the, the same thing, the, the styles of hockey that we see from these teams tonight, it's gonna, it, it, it is a playoff preview because it would take a crazy upset, I think, probably from any of those teams in the West for it not to, to be Colorado and, and Calgary. And, and I think, I don't know if, if you guys up there, I think people in the United States, particularly on the East Coast, who don't watch the Flames a whole lot, are sleeping on, on Calgary as a legitimate Stanley Cup contender. But I could absolutely see us at the Stanley Cup final in Calgary in June because this team is legit. Yeah, it's been an incredible turnaround considering how disappointment disappointing they were last year. And, I mean, credit to Daryl Sutter. I'd have to think that he's the lead leader when it comes to the Jack Adams. Uh, Steven, thanks so much for the time. Always great catching up. Let's do this again closer to the playoffs. Uh, you be well, my friend. You as well. Talk to you soon. Thanks so much. Give him a follow on Twitter at SWino. Check out his work covering the National Hockey League and much more for the AP. All right, hammer time coming up in just one second. Uh, do want to give a big thanks to uh, Donnie and the gang over at Manitoba Battery. We've talked about the best prices on automotive batteries all winter long, but hallelujah, spring is rumored to actually be here or coming in a few days. And at that point, you're thinking about spring cleaning and spring fun. For some of you, you're going to need batteries. are going to help you get the job done. Your lawnmower, the drill you're building that deck, the tractor that's helping you get the crop in for all our farming friends out there. Whatever the job is, Manitoba Batteries got you covered on the battery front. And then when we get closer to summer, it's uh, time for the toys, whether it's your summer hot rod, a garf golf cart that gets you around from site to site at the lake, a motorcycle on the open road, or a boat you'll be enjoying the summer days on. Manitoba Battery 
has the batteries that you need to enjoy our short summers. They'll deliver anywhere in the city with same-day delivery when you order by 1.30 in the afternoon at a much lower price than what you'd have to pay at one of the big box stores. Manitoba Battery, home of the best prices in Winnipeg, 1026 Logan, 783-8787, and online at manitobabattery.com. Uh, we had a lot of time to talk yesterday about Canada's men's national team, and we are counting down the days till that truckload of Canada soccer gear shows up at Royal Sports. The weekend shirts that the Canadians were wearing after officially clinching the spot in the World Cup will be there, as well as all sorts of merch from our Canadians men's national team and hopefully some of the women too. I'm still waiting for my Des Scott jersey for the gold medalist from Winnipeg. Uh, also, when you're there, check out an exclusive line of new era hats, old school Winnipeg whips, 1996 OG purple Manitoba moose hats, uh, old school bomber hats, as well as those exclusive back-to-back Grey Cup champion hats. And I have heard a rumor that potentially throwback gold eyes hats to the first season from the mid nineties coming as well. Check all those out at Royal sports, 750 Pemina highway, and make sure you're following them on Instagram at Royal sports Pemina for the latest merchandise drops and sale news over at Royal sports. And our friends at not auto corp are ready for the summer. Whether you're looking for a new vehicle, why not get into the car of your dreams over at not and if you're thinking about maybe making the move to electric, talk to them about the Tesla experience, a new program to let drivers drive, take home, experience a Tesla, what it's like to, to, uh, to drive one, as well as charging it, everything that goes for it. Find out more from the experts at not, not.ca online and pop by to see them at Waverly and McGilvery. All right, one of my favorite moments of the week, our weekly, weekly visit with our good friend, Jeff Hamilton who joins us now on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Hammer, what's up, man? How was your weekend? Well, um, you know, just another week in this crazy sports world city and lots to talk about and be more weeks here coming. We feel like we've been kind of waiting for this point for a bit. Um, we're not quite there in this final stretch, but things have remained interesting. I think that's a positive take. Uh, okay, well, let's talk about the Jets going into this trip out to a Buffalo and Toronto. Before we do that... It was a very interesting weekend. Bottom line was this team absolutely needed to move off of the stench of the win, uh, the Thursday loss to Ottawa and pick up four points. They did it. I'm not going to say in the most convincing fashion, but no one cares about convincing fashion. They care about results right now as the team clings on to very, very slight playoff hopes. First, it was the return of Patrick Laine, an overtime win that night, and then uh, Mark Scheifele stepping up when the team really needed him in what was overall a pretty dull game against the Arizona Coyotes, but we've seen Carl Vemelka do this before. He keeps his team in games up against the Winnipeg Jets, but they were able to get uh, another overtime goal, goals that eluded them earlier this season. Important results. What did you think of what happened on the ice? Well, yeah, I mean, we talked about after that Chicago victory in Chicago, it was, okay, now you need to win the next five in a row. Or you want, you know, that's the goal here as you play mostly non-playoff teams and teams that are, you know, like the Arizona Coyotes um, that are just basement dwellers. And, you know, three out of four, not horrible. I mean, it, you know, it kind of puts a bit more pressure on you later in the, in the schedule, but, um, you know, not a horrible mark. I mean, the Jets are what, 10 4 and 2 or something in their last bit? Uh, I don't know if that's exactly right. Maybe 10 4 and 1 in their last 15, whatever it is. They need to be playing like that and a little bit better. And so it's a, it's a bit of a daunting situation. The other part of it, too, is we know, um, you know, they're not, they, they don't get, they need help. 
games because they don't get to play Dallas anymore. They don't get to play Vegas anymore. They can't make up those points in those, you know, in that fashion, those four point games. Um, as for the weekend, I mean, I feel like I've been saying this for a little bit. I mean, you can nitpick a lot of those games. I mean, you can nitpick the Columbus game and how it almost fell through the cracks. You can nitpick, you know, the Arizona game that was a bit of a bore. You can nitpick periods, but the reality is, is, you know, and you take this from interim head coach Dave Lowry. I mean, they're not going to critique wins. I mean, this this team needs the two points. You know, there is. I mean, I, I just, I, I some of it gets lost in the almost like you're kind of left thinking like, is this good enough? You know, or or, or at what? Where's the bar, right? Because like, you know, this team wants to be making the playoffs. It's like, well, yeah. I mean, Arizona played really well, or Columbus Blue Jackets are a good team, or Ottawa really came at us in waves. It's like okay like it's not that that's there aren't elements of truth in those in those statements but it's like you just you 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 want a little bit more convincing victories but again you know victories is what you need the two points is what you need um you know as you mentioned Amelka has just been this you know whatever I mean he's had a good season all things considered but he's been particularly dangerous against the Jets um and just to get that victory I mean those are the those are the ones where, you know, and you can tell this team is savoring all their victories, right? I mean, no matter who it is, they're looking to in, inject a bit of fun here. So, you know, I'm not going to go too much into critiquing them, but I mean, both those games, you can argue are, well, you can definitely argue are a shot away, right? I mean, the next, uh, a shot away from being losses, having both those go into extra time. But Jets got both of them done over the weekend. That's, you know, that's what you need to do. It's a, it's a bit of a daunting schedule here. Um, you know, I'm kind of a mixed bag of teams, a lot of good teams, uh, seven of the next 15 are at, or I don't know if it's 14 or 15 remain, whatever it is, but seven of them are at home. Um, again, you get, you get the Detroit, you get the Seattle's, but you also have, you know, uh, there's a big, obviously back-to-back coming up here, but it's the first of three back-to-backs uh, remaining in the season. And there's a couple of ones that are going to be a bit more difficult um, down the stretch. But as far as results go, I mean, the Jets are, they're better than treading water. They're getting the results that they need. It might not be in the fashion in which fans are all convinced that they're going to do any damage in the playoffs. And some may, maybe have moved on and wanting a better pick, but the Jets are still hanging in there. And, um, you know, I think if they can make it competitive down the stretch here, at least it gives an opportunity to watch some, some interesting hockey rather than, you know, falling out of the mix here and which can happen very quickly where you have five or six games, the last five or six games be kind of a dud. So let's hope for some meaningful hockey here the rest of the way. Well, exactly. And I mean, considering how um, ugly Thursday night was, I mean, if they didn't get back up off the mat and, you know, win these two games, I mean, you know, listen, these games were all seemingly sort of felt like must win games. And, you know, they sort of have to make one up uh, that they gave away to the Ottawa Senators. And, Listen, I mean, certainly by, I'll say this about Buffalo, just because I've been betting them so much for the last month. I mean, this team is playing with a, they're like a brand new team right now. I mean, I think that win over Jack Eichel a couple, like a few weeks ago, got them believing that they are now on the other side. That is all in the rear view mirror. Last night, they were down four, nothing Jeff and came back and won six, five against the Blackhawks, who frankly aren't very good either. And then you go into Toronto on the second end of back-to-backs. And listen, Toronto's got a big game tonight against the Boston Bruins. They are destined for the playoffs. They're going to be there. But I do wonder what sort of aftermath we might see in that game against the Leafs because of the circus that happened here in Winnipeg on the 5th of December. Of course, that was the game after the Bombers won the Western Final. The Logan Stanley, uh, you know, win game. The touchdown, the touchdown. Neil Pionk's uh, issue, Jason Spezza's flying WWE knee on on Pionk. I mean, um, 
a lot of things that I think many people have forgot about around the games. I will be interested to see how much the guys in blue and white have forgot about that going up against the Winnipeg Jets on Thursday night. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, we'll move back a little bit to Buffalo. Like Buffalo has been not good, obviously, that when you take the season, the whole season into consideration, but they've also not been bad the last bit here. I mean, I'm looking at their schedule now, and I mean, they, yeah, they squeak one out against Chicago 6-5, as you mentioned, um, down all those goals, but they also lose in overtime to the New York Rangers. They lose in a shootout to the Washington Capitals. They lose, you know, they win in a shootout against Pittsburgh. They beat Vancouver, who is a desperate team trying to fight, uh, you know, fight for a playoff spot in overtime. They win one nothing in overtime to Calgary, uh, and of course, before that, they got they got absolutely stomped by by Edmonton six one. But you know, this is a team that's you know I think you know no one likes to hear that. Well, I'm not saying no one likes to hear this, but there is a relaxation and an, and a you know an easiness to to the game where you don't you know like the jets right now are very very tight right i mean that's why they're trying to en- enjoy all these victories whenever they come you know no matter who it is because it's a very stressful practice for them right now it's a very stressful day in and day out there's not you know they know that there's not a lot of room, you know margin for error here so you know it's a it's a stressed out hockey and you exert that mental energy well you know, there's kind of a, you know, that mental stuff, you know, for the teams that are out of the playoff picture, there's more of a relaxation. You get to play spoiler, you know, you get to play, you know, a little bit at ease. You, you try to be a little bit more run and gun. And at the same time, these players also are playing for contracts, right? I mean, they're playing for, they're playing to, you know, if you don't make the playoffs and if you don't make the playoffs by a ton of points, you know, management is looking out there and seeing, well, who's, who's continuing to give her, you know, who's, who's, who fits into the future plans here. Um, you know, we're planning to blow th- this up and, and a lot of guys, you know, like like the city they play in, regardless of of where they are in the standings. Anyway, it's lo- just a long roundabout way of saying that Buffalo is, is going to be no free spot on the bingo card. And then, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, whether there is some, you know, leftover emotion or feeling when it comes to, you know, when it, when it comes to that, that last game against the Toronto Maple Leafs, I'm sure there is. I'm sure there's an element of Toronto that, uh, you know, remembers how that went. And now you're welcoming them into your barn. And, you you know, you're also playing high intense hockey as well. You're jockeying for position in the standings. and You're trying to play your best hockey heading into the playoffs and go on a, on a, on a run here in the last month. So, you know, I, that that's certainly going to be a, a big game. It's going to be a particularly tough game for the Winnipeg Jets from all of that I just mentioned and the fact that it's on the back, the, the second of a back-to-back game after what will be a, I imagine a challenging game against the Sabres. It will be a tight one. So, um, and it's an interesting thing too, that if you, you know, you don't really want to, you obviously don't want to go into, you know, you mentioned if you lose against a team like Buffalo, you got to make up, uh, you know, a game with a win over a team like Toronto. You certainly want to start that trip off strong. And so I think, you know, what the Jets need to be careful with is, is focusing and, and, you know, kind of practicing what they preach in the sense of going game by game and not thinking too much about that Toronto game and the emotion to it. I mean, you saw after that game that they won against the Leafs, um, you know, they, you know, if you, if anyone caught that video in the dressing room, when they give, when they give out the pilot's helmet, like the Jets were emotionally involved in that game, you know, Mark Scheifele even made a note saying, you know, that's the team you want to beat, right? It's not even like the Maple Leafs are juggernauts. They're just a team that, you know, everyone grew up watching and whatever, original six, all those things that come into to play. But um, again, you know, you, you need to keep that focus against the Sabres first, get those two points, and then get into what will be a pretty, you know, whether it's an emotional game or not, it'll certainly be a challenging one against a good Maple Leafs club. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, listen, I mean, we're in the, 
in the media, we talk about all these things around the games. I mean, we're going to ask these questions. And part of me thinks that, you know, and a couple of people have said, you know, it was a long time ago. These teams are in very different situations. I mean, none of that is really important to the plight of either of those teams in reality when they go in, go in and drop the puck on Thursday night. That being said, hockey's a weird game and guys hold grudges and remember things that seem very trivial to some that um, that it does end up showing it. What's interesting about this is depending on what happens on Wednesday night, Billy Hainala might be in Logan Stanley's place. And I mean, I would imagine that Logan Stanley might be, along with Neil Pionk, public enemy number one to guys in that Maple Leaf room if they're actually in the lineup that night. And listen, since that game for Pionk in particular, I mean, he was injured. He had the concussion from the uh, from the, the the knee from Jason Spezza. And to me, really struggled. Like, you can go back to that game and what happened that led to, you know, a really tough couple of months for Neil Pionk. So uh, I'm not sure he wants to go in there and play the heel or the villain and uh, be that involved going on. So, you know, it will be a fascinating thing. But the bottom line for the Winnipeg Jets, we can talk about all these other side stories. The only story that matters for this team is, you know, trying to get four points in these two games and get a little bit closer to Dallas because, I mean, for all the, you know, what's happening with Vancouver and Vegas, I mean, to me, the only team you really have to worry about right now is the Dallas Stars because of all those games. And uh, frankly, being big fans of teams like the Anaheim Ducks, who they're going to see a lot of and get a chance to crack at tonight, who won what won in their last 10 games. Well, yeah, a lot there. I mean, just to go off, you know, kind of existing schedules, if you look at it, the Jets really are in a disadvantage to a certain point in, in the the difficulty of their schedule. And as you mentioned, I was kind of looking at the Stars, the Stars' final month of play, and you're right, a couple games against Anaheim, a couple games against other teams that are in that race. And that's the other part that, you know, where, where you have guys like, you know, Nate Schmidt talking today that they need help. The reality is, is because you don't play, not only do the Jets not play teams that they're chasing right now, or for the most part, they don't play Dallas again, they don't play Vegas again. Well, those teams in and around, you know, that last wildcard spot, you know, either in or outside the playoff line do play each other a few times. So it will result in some of them getting points. So they almost kind of know in some way, you know, that they're going to, you know, the results are, they're going to need some help, but they're not going to get a ton of help because of that situation. And, you know, you mentioned Billy Hainala, you I didn't even really think about, the potential of Logan Stanley being out against Toronto, but you're right. Maybe that is a, a tactic, um, you know, Dave Lowry might take and not want to get the emotions up because I, you're right. I mean, I don't think that the Toronto Maple Leafs go to bed every night thinking about what happened with the Jets game. Um, you know, the, the last time they played, but you'll, you'll damn well re- remember the day of, or, you know, warmups as they see it. I mean, they'll recall what went down there. And so maybe that does, you know, extinguish some of the fire there, but I don't even think that's the play. I think the play is playing Billy Hanela because of what you saw last game. And I think what you saw from Billy Hanela last game, um, and I'll remind you, I mean, he, he won the, you know, his, his peers gave him the, the pilot's helmet in the post-game celebration as the, as, as the team's MVP. I mean, that's a, that wasn't just for what we saw on the ice, which is clearly, you know, was clearly, I don't want to say vintage Vili Hainala, but certainly a structured Vili Hainala and, a, you know, an effective one. But it was a fact he hadn't played in six weeks. You know, he hadn't played and he'd been up, you know, down with the moose and, and, and playing well there and playing, logging a lot of ice time. And that's essentially the message he was given. 
I remember, you know, after that Philly game that he, that he coughed up that puck, you know, I, we were in, I forget what it was. We were in Dallas or somewhere and, you know, he was, he was being sent down and we were talking about him, his situation. And, you know, he needs to go play more hockey. Dave Lowry would say he needs to, you know, make better decision-making. I even asked him today about, you know, you look at a, and I know there's difference in mistakes. There really is. You look at what happened against, you know, the Philly game, you know, jumps over his stick. Uh, you know, he made a decision, a read that, you know, making the wrong read and having like a Logan Stanley did a few games ago, I forget which team it was, but, you know, whiffing on a pass up the sideboards and, and that leading, I was Columbus leading into, you know, the back of his net. Um, you know, those are, those are both mistakes, but it's the reads. And so I think you saw, you know, you didn't see anything overly flashy from Billy Hano. And maybe that's what Dave Lowry wants from him is just solid reads and that trust because, you know, I know a lot of people, myself included, you want to see more Billy Hano in the lineup. You want to see more, you know, more puck movement. We know this is a quick team. We know how important transition hockey is to this club uh, in generating offense and, and, and overall success. And Billy Hano is a guy that can certainly help you out in that category. Um, you know, but and, and I was happy to see him at practice today working alongside Nate Schmidt um, and then asking Dave Lowry afterwards. And, yeah, he'll be in the lineup for, for Buffalo I think it's a game-by-game situation for Billy Hanela in, in that, you know, if he plays well against Buffalo, I don't see why you would take him out for Toronto. Um, but, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll wait and see. I, you know, it's, it's an interesting one, too. I, you know, I asked Dave Lowry today about what he wants out of that sixth defenseman besides responsible hockey. I mean, he wants responsible hockey from every single one of his defenders. No, it's not a unique situation, but more often than not, if you're finding your way in and out of the lineup as that sixth defenseman, you need to chip in in other areas. We've seen Logan Stanley be a contributor on the penalty kill. Well, Villahena is not a contributor on the penalty kill at this stage of his career, but he is a contributor on the power play. And so I think he's a guy that, you know, can, can certainly lend um, some help to possibly that second unit. Um, And so we'll see what happens with him. But I mean, it wasn't long ago uh, that, you know, the reality was for Billy Hanela was that he wasn't going to get called up unless the Jets were out of a playoff position and other guys from the Moose were coming up to see what, you know, so Winnipeg could see what they have in the future. Well, here he is in the midst of this playoff run He's, you know, it's valuable experience from every game is valuable experience for him. So I look forward to see what, seeing what he can do and, uh, you know, contributing and talking to him today. I mean, he has the confidence. He is frustrated. I mean, he didn't want to go into some of those conversations that he and, and Dave Lowry have had as he's moved back and forth between, you know, the Jets and the AHL, but he is committed. And, you know, I think he's feeling comfortable with this run and, um, you know, I hope the best for him because this guy is going to be the future of the blue line. And, you know, I'd rather see it presently right now than, than necessarily in the future. Well, and, and, and you know, let me hit you with something that Remo and I were talking about earlier. And uh, I asked Mike about yesterday. I mean, how significant of change do you think will come on the jet blue line amongst the veterans in this off season? I mean, we sort of said, let's set the number at 1.5 defensemen being moved, opening up spots for younger players. I mean, do you think it could be more than that? Could we be seeing two guys move or will they probably just find a spot to, you know, figure out what single guy makes sense to move that they can handle and, you know, presumably have, Billy and Logan Stanley in the lineup or some combination of the other guys pushing for spots in a Dylan Sandberg, a Declan Chisholm, Johnny Kovacevic from the Moose? You know, it's a fascinating question and there's layers, there's layers to it because it's, you know, one thing is, well, what's, what what exactly is the strategy of this team defensively? And, and what, 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 what vision do you have for the future with this group? Because if you, you know, I still think there's an element there where GMs and coaches are thinking, okay, we haven't got out of the woods with COVID. You know, COVID's thrown this wrench in with lineup changes, with consistency, with, you know, a lot of these things, particularly in Canada, where the freedoms, you know, are 
for what we were able to do. Like the restrictions are much tighter. And I'm not saying that the Jets are leaning on this thing that like, okay, you know, this is, this is like, you know, I just don't think they've gotten a real great full picture. And now, you know, fans will argue and I, and, and I'm not saying there isn't an argument against it, but, but that full non COVID picture since they picked up this, you know, created this blue line. So like, you know, how much of that plays into plays into things. And so, you know, there's that, the, the other thing too is, you know, where you want to allocate your money and, and, and whether or not you feel like, you know, here's the other thing is Charlie, how are you going to be with this organization? Like, I mean, if, if you, you know, if, if you're making decisions on defense, I think you need to be, before you make personnel decisions, I think you need to solidify who your coaches are going to be. Because if you don't know, like, you know, I don't think unless you're going to commit to Dave Lowry and, and, you know, I don't know what exactly Charlie Huddy's, uh, you know, contract status is right now, but unless they're in the, you know, the driver's Lifetime seat contract. for these things. What are you yeah, talking yeah, about? Totally, yeah, exactly. Nothing Gretzky deal. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just a bunch of, you know, a bunch of contracts signed in a drawer, just picking them out every year. But, you know, and I'm not trying to beat up on him, but the reality is there's not a lot of coaches that hang around a team for as long as Charlie Huddy has. It's just, you know, and go through multiple coaches. So I think that the first, the first decision really um, you know, whether or not you're going to, you know, whether or not you you believe it's over or under one and a half, the number you put out one and a half defensemen on the move, I think really depends on who's driving the, who's driving the bus here. So if it's Dave Lowry, I mean, he's, he's going to, you know, and, or if they stay status quo, I think you might have a, you know, more likely that things are going to change because I, you know, I think there, I think there has been evidence that suggests that this group, you know, they're just not working. So whether it's one of, you know, and, and I don't even know who that might be. I think you can argue Josh Morrissey's safe. I think you can argue the younger guys are safe um, because you just would have to replace younger, cheaper guys with younger, cheaper guys. Um, so you kind of have that group of, of D-men, whether it's Brendan Dillon, Nate Schmidt, um, Dylan DeMello, you know, like those guys are making decent money. Uh, you know, there's there's obviously, you know, Neil Pionk to a certain degree. Um, so, you know, I don't know that. But, I, but again, I, I think it really falls into – you know, the vision of the, of the coaching staff. If you bring in a new coaching staff, they might, you know, they hockey small, they might even have connections with some of those players. They might look at the skill set of each one of the defense and try to implement a different system that might be successful with this group of six. But um, there's lots of, you know, it's a guess, it's a guesser's game right now. I don't think it, you know, I don't think you can look at it and say, this is going to be obvious, but something's got to give with this group. I mean, you have the forwards, um, I mean, certainly you can ask for more scoring from the forwards, but at least you know the talent there. I think the defense, the overall defensive game, whether it's an overhaul in strategy and structure, or if it's you know it's an overhaul in personnel or both, I think is really going to be determined by who's you know who's running the bench next season. Well, you know what I mean. I really do think though that Kevin Cheveldea has to first and foremost make the decision because what happens with that blue line and moving a significant contract off the blue line, you know, presumably would bring something back. And I think you're really looking at shifting, you know, as much of your cap expenditure as presently spent on the blue line to maybe support the forward group a little bit and then make room for a young guy on an ELC to come in and hopefully play significant minutes, help the team win some games and do it at a much lesser price. And obviously you get the benefit of the four, but the coaching staff is, I mean, is fascinating. And I mean, what's different about this year, Jeff, to me, when you look at the big picture of the organization and true North and where they're at this season, and let's just assume for a minute that, you know, the team plays well and stays in the fight for the next few weeks, but falls short. I mean, we're looking at a 10 or 12% chance of making the playoffs that, I mean, tells you all you need to know. Um, if the numbers bear out and the team misses, but say they stay in it till the final week of the season, 
I still am not sure that the organization could come back and say, hey, we saw enough in the second half under Dave Lowry to think that he is the guy. Even if they think that, I think that they've got a unique position that they've never been in before where they really do need to sell the fan base on, you know, the upcoming season, that they are doing the right things, that they're moving in the right direction as opposed to just staying in the status quo. And unfortunately, that's not a good thing for Dave Lowry, to be honest with you, because, I mean, for all the things that he's been dealing with, and maybe he has done a great job behind the scenes, I mean, we don't know. Um, the on-ice product tells us that not much has changed, and if not much has changed, that's disappointing considering how much money this team is spending as a cap team and the expectations we had coming into this year. Well, and I think that, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a great point, Huss. I think it really does fall on Kevin Sheveldayoff and what he views as, you know, the obstacles in which the Jets have had to face this year, particularly from a coaching standpoint. And, I mean, if you look at Paul Maurice, I mean, he walked away from the team, couldn't offer any more to help this organization, and, and the Jets didn't exactly get a coaching bump with Dave Lowry. And I think to your point, um, you know, it's going to be a tough sell to say this is a new guy or a different, you know, a different regime for the, you know, the apathy that's starting to set in amongst the fan base that they want change. They want to know what, what the future is. But I've always come back to this, this big thing is that you can't really sell your car until you buy a new one. And what are the options for the jets? I mean, that was the conundrum at the, clearly that was the conundrum at the trade deadline where it was like, we're not buyer or we're both buyers and we're both sellers. Like, you know, you do, you, you need to do some asset management. And clearly we saw that with Andrew Kopp going, going out the door. Um, but, you know, you also saw, you know, the, the buying part. And so committing to, you know, getting Mason Appleton back, getting, you know, um, you know, just adding to adding to the group um, for guys that, you know, for, for a run here, because the reality is, is, you know, the Jets certainly didn't do those, do those moves to finish ninth. You know, like, I mean, that would be the worst case scenario. And that's probably where they're headed. Um, you know, or at least that's what they're fighting for, that final spot. So if you, the reality is, is I don't, yeah, I think it creates, I think you wanted to keep in the push so that you could get a couple playoff, you know, get a couple playoff games, not just for the, you know, not just for revenue and the gate money, which is super important, of course, after what's been a tough couple seasons for all NHL teams, but also to inject a little bit of hope here. You never know what can happen when you make the playoffs. Now, I don't think it's going to be anything like the Montreal Canadiens last last playoffs just given the structure and the you know the, the way the divisions are working out this year but um it's certainly you know it's certainly got to do something for the fans and 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 that really is the tough part and i go again i go back to well who's who's available who wants to come to winnipeg and it's not just you know we talk a lot about like the winnipeg weather we talk about the market i mean there is only 32 head coaching jobs right so you know there's somebody of quality out there and you know whether it's you know, whether it's a homegrown guy like a Pascal Vincent or, you know, uh, you know, one of the free agents out there or someone who gets fired by the offseason. I mean, that's ultimately what happened with Paul Maurice. Right. I mean, he was on the TSN panel um, and then came, you know, had that had that history and was looking for a job and, you know, kind of resurrected his career in Winnipeg. So you might there might be another coach out there that goes, oh, well, that's that's, you know, that's for me or I don't have many options. Right. Like when you have the guys that leave, you know, good contending teams. Um, you know, and they usually have their pick of the litter. Well, the Jets kind of need to, I don't want to say luck into one of those, but get get maybe the ideal situation. Now, that's one of the things. The other thing is, is, you know, we all know that Mark Chipman is a, an involved owner. Just, do, you know, do, do head coaches want to be under that relationship? Do they want to be, you know, a lot of the, the marquee head coaches kind of have their say, right? Get control. Well, I think there's a bit of more of a hands-on approach from the ownership of the Jets. 
And, you know, that trickles into, you know, I don't think that has anything to do with the coaching, though, of the team. I I think it does. I mean, I I mean, I think you walk into you walk into you don't think if you're a head coach, a coveted head coach, that you don't want a good idea of what the of what the culture of the organization is and what you're saying. Yeah, but what I'm saying is like he might be and I know they work in lockstep with management, with general, with Kevin Sheveldale. But I don't think for a second any coach like any coach of the Winnipeg Jets, whether it be Paul Maurice or Dave Lowry, has been you know, moved in a particular way on making some sort of decision from the owner's box. I just don't believe that. And I haven't seen any evidence to say that as much as we know that he is involved, cares a lot and is well, I'm involved. I'm not suggesting that Mark Chingman's going down and saying, you need to play this guy on the third or second line. I'm just talking about the culture, right? Like a lot of people don't like, you know, an owner, an involved owner. Like that like is a big like, separation it, from the yeah, coach's like that, office to the top. Well, that's I what I'm you. saying. Cause a lot of the times Hoss, it's coach GM. So that's the relationship you have. Well, in Winnipeg, it's coach, GM, owner. We all know this. Like this is, it's like the Canadian mafia in, in the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. It's very similar in that respect at the Winnipeg Jets. Again, I'm not suggesting that that you know it's there's a bad way and a good way. I mean, I'm, and I'm, I'm certainly not suggesting that that Mark Chipman is going down there and demanding things happen. But it's a group situation. I mean, those three guys have a lot of communication together. They're you know they're. And I'm, and maybe that works for some coaches. Some coaches it doesn't, and so and we all know that. We all know about ownership activity, whether and it goes across sports, you know. So this isn't me dumping on Mark Chipman. This is me sharing the realities of the Winnipeg Jets in what in, in trying to get a better coach. A lot of people look at and go, "Well, I wish I wish Daryl Sutter was here." You know what I mean? He, he he would he would get you know what what he's been able to do with Calgary if we could just get him. Well, Daryl Sutter wasn't a slam dunk to come to the Winnipeg Jets. You know what I mean? Or he would, you know, who knows if he would have been all that interested in doing it. And so that's what I'm saying is that I th- my point isn't to, again, create some kind of horrible situation in Winnipeg as much as it is to create the situation in Winnipeg and whether that would be appealing to a coach who may have other options. I mean, Paul Maurice didn't have other options when he came to Winnipeg. He wasn't fighting off offers. He ended up being a good coach in a lot of respects. How up- many coaches really do, though? And I think your point earlier, which is an astute one, there's Jerry Trotz gets jobs. fired from New York Islanders. He has his pick of the litter. Like he's a name that gets tossed out nonstop as a guy who might want to come back home. That's not the case necessarily. I'm not saying he wouldn't. I'm not speaking for Barry Trotz, but if he gets fired, you know, or Bruce Boudreaux in some ways, you know, like some of those some of those guys have, you know, op- options. Or if they're and here's the other thing: if even if they get fired at a time when there's less teams, you know, available jobs open. These guys who get fired create openings because other teams have no problem firing their coaches and just picking a guy up 48 hours later. The Jets would never do that. That's what I'm saying. Like these, you know, and so I'm not, it's not an excuse. It's not, you know, a teardown. It's the, it's the reality of, okay, if Dave Lowry is not your guy, who are potential candidates? And, you know, and, and, and I think, Kevin Sheveldayoff needs to think long and hard about who he's going to, you know, fill in that chair because we know GMs only have X amount of head coaches they can go through before it's the GM situation. Well, one other thing that is interesting and, you know, however things shake down, you know, with Dave Lowry's situation at the end of the season into the offseason, if the team does move to add a new head coach and potentially a new staff, uh, it will be such a departure from what they've done in the past. Um, And listen, this team and this organization has had its toughest financial year ever. Um, you know, the crowds haven't been what they have been able to be counted on before. 
they've spent more money on players than they ever have before in a season right at the cap. And I do wonder if they have that same appetite to pay elite level market value for a top coach as opposed to giving someone that they think has a very bright future their first opportunity to uh, to get that gig in the National Hockey League. And that's why a guy like Pascal Vincent's name is always mentioned. Certainly he's got that connection. They know him as well as anyone for the work that he's done before in the organization. And presumably as a guy that has never had a shot before, he's not going to come in and be, you know, be demanding Barry Trotz money, if you will, as opposed to a guy like that being uh, being available. Bottom line is, I mean, these the, the situation around the uh, the coaching aspect of the club um, about as fascinating as I will have had for, well, the last 10 years uh, plus here in Winnipeg. Speaking of Pascal Vincent, by the way, he's going to get his first chance to be that head coach today as uh, the uh, head coach of the Blue Jackets is on COVID and uh, he's going to be behind the bench as the big boss tonight, Hammer. Yeah, good for him. I didn't even know that actually, but that's, uh, you know, and I think it's interesting too. And Pascal Vincent might be the next guy. I mean, he might be an option because, you know, there is something a bit lacking from from his resume, and that's NHL head coaching games, right? I mean, a lot of players, a lot of veteran players want veteran coaches or experienced coaches. And I'm not saying Pascal Vincent isn't experienced. Of course, he's experienced. He was with the he was with the organization before he went and took over the head coaching job at the Moose. But what he is tremendous at is communicating. He's a great communicator. You know, he worked with a lot of the younger guys in the Winnipeg Jets organization, so he certainly has a connection to those guys. You know, even like Kyle Connor was with the Moose for a little bit, Josh Morris, you know, like all these guys have kind of been through his rankings, and he's a very good communicator and a well-respected guy. He might just be an option, um, you know, down the line here, and you'd certainly you'd certainly be a guy who would want to come to Winnipeg. He loved it here, and I think he, he kind of, you know, I think there was a little bit of reluctance for him to leave. If you would have, you know, if you – you had a couple beers with them. I'm sure he'd say, you know, I just never saw Paul Maurice leaving. You know what I mean? Like if he would, he probably saw Paul Maurice never losing a job. And the reality is, is Paul Maurice wasn't about to lose his job. So that you know, you know, he had a long leash. But yeah, so that that I mean, it's certainly a fascinating situation um, for him, uh, you know, in the future. But but as you mentioned, in the present too, because I think there's, you know, I think it's a, a cool opportunity for him, and you know, it just it's going to continue to. You know, these kind of opportunities are just going to continue to light the fire under under him. And, and you know, as he pers- you know pursues, obviously, to get a, an NHL coaching gig. And, and I think one of the things, too, for him to go to Columbus, one of the deciding factors was to get more people talking about him, right? The Jets are going to talk lots about him. The t- Jets are going to say he's great and terrific and, and mention all those things I just mentioned in the positives and, and more. I think what his, you know, what his hope was is to go to another team and have more people talk about who he is and what he does. So just kind of build that credibility and build his reputation. So, I mean, we'll see, but you know, best of luck to him and uh, you know, we'll see what uh, we'll see what happens as he gets a, a, a pretty cool shot tonight. Hey, just real quick before we uh, get ready for the uh, Moose game tonight in the Moose homestand with, uh, with Dan Fink. Um, it's been deathly quiet around the Canadian football league for the past month. Uh, anything of interest coming across your ticker? Or are we just sort of waiting for things to get going closer to the training camp? Where have you been? It's just been a fist fight over four downs or three downs. You know, it's wow, just, that's not you know, it. just, just the latest, just the, just the latest argument in the league. No, uh, you know what there it's, it's kind of the, 
you know, the calm before the storm situation right here. I mean, we all, you know, we had an opportunity to maybe look at potential rule changes uh, over the last week. The GMs just had their meetings in Toronto, which were postponed from, from uh, I think, about six weeks ago. They're supposed to be in Kananaskis in, in Alberta. Um, you know, they, they were done in kind of connection with the CFL Combine, National Combine, which was in Toronto over the weekend. The meetings were a couple days before. Some interesting things, you know, rule change-wise, is they're, they're strongly considering – um, look, they want to improve scoring and they want to improve game flow. And they're, so they're strongly considering things like moving the hash marks closer to the middles, like aligned with the goalposts, just a little bit wider than the goalposts so that there's more, you know, like the hash marks with the way they are, you know, you call the boundary side and the field side. Well, a lot of the boundary side is being exploited. Um, but, you know, a lot of people complain about how far it is to, to throw on the field side. So by bringing those in, it's supposed to help out the offense and give them quarterback more space to throw. Um, they're talking about moving the field from 110 yards to 100. I don't think that's going to be happening necessarily next season. They're talking about moving the the kickoffs to the 25-yard line instead of the 35-yard line, which is obvious. Um, you know, would give the offense, you know, give the returning team a little bit more room to to make better field position. Um, lots of things are happening. Game flow is a big one. They're talking about you know maybe. Um, trying to figure out something with the 22nd play clock and, and altering those kind of things, or they're talking about the ratio, uh, you know, that's, that, that's on the table. I mean, the ratio is an interesting one because that's going to be, that's going to need to be, um, you know, discussed with the players in the CBA. These other rules can be done through the rules committee with the league. The ratio idea I keep mentioning and not really explaining is that they want to have maybe an even split on offense and defense. Obviously, those who know, it's seven starting Canadians. Right now, a, a majority of those Canadian starters are on the offensive side of the ball, particularly on the offensive line. Um, you know, this isn't a shot against Canadians, but Americans are, for the most part, you know, better than the, than Canadians. So did th- they thinking that if you put, if you put more Canadian starters on defense, it'll create more mismatches on offense, which lead to more offense. So there's, you know, there's lots of stuff going on, but the other thing is that the negotiations, I mean, this, the, the, the current CBA expires in, in May 14th. I can't believe it. I mean, as the snow melts here, we got, we got football, CFL football coming in, in about six weeks when training camp starts. So there's not a ton of time to discuss the, 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 a new CBA, but the reality is, or history at least suggests, is that the longer you, the longer we, you know, the longer they have to negotiate, the more likely things go off the rails. Someone picks up their ball, walks away, and you know, and and then they don't talk until it gets close to the deadline. So to me, I, there's no real panic for a new CBA. I think it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a heated one. I think there are going to be challenges on both sides. One trying to, you know, the league trying to sell to the players that we're all in this together, and that you know we we need to build a better future, and they're probably going to argue that they need a bit more time to get more financially secure. Whereas the players are going to come out and say, well, that's great, but we've, we're the ones that have been sacrificing, you know, a lot over the last two seasons, both in our contracts and, you know, our prorated contracts for the season, which was only a 14 game season. And then there's, you know, there's just, you know, teams being told to, to pay closer to the cap floor, right. Than the ceiling. So, I mean, there's <laughs> lots, lots going on here. People want people, both sides, feel like they lost a lot in the last two years and both sides are going to do their damnness to try to make up as much as they can over these next. Oh, six great. Years. That always sets up fun CBA negotiations. I completely totally. forgot about Buckle that. Hammer, great up. stuff, man. Uh, appreciate you joining us as always. We'll look forward to uh, more of your work in the free over the course of this next week and talk to you next week on WST. Thanks so much.
Always a pleasure, my man. Thanks for having me on, and shout out to the uh, the chatters, the the ones that make this show. Lot, care, lots of hammer emotes in the uh, in the chat today, Jeff. There's Jeff Hamilton from the Winnipeg Free Press. Follow him on Twitter at Jeff K Hamilton. We are getting ready for a big moose game tonight. As spring break is underway, should be a nice crowd. Just before we bring Dan Fink in, a big cheers to our friends over at Little Brown Jug who are ready for spring and summer. If you haven't already, what a great time to pop down to the brewery and tap room on William Avenue to check it out. Enjoy some of Little Brown Jug's finest and meet with some friends. And while you're there, you can pick up all the great tastes of Little Brown Jug, all seven of their beers, as well as uh, maybe get into one of their uh, variety packs and great merchandise as well. Otherwise, grab the great taste of 1919 of fine bars and restaurants throughout the city or pop by your local beer store. And if you aren't making it out, but you do want to get the great taste of Little Brown Jug, they're delivering on Wednesdays, Fridays, and Saturdays. Simple and easy to order online and get it delivered to you over at littlebrownjug.ca. Wow, we've had some pretty wild Princess Auto curling reports lately. Great to see Carrie Anderson and her team staying together after their bronze medal performance at the World Championships. We'll uh, have a little more curling to talk about As we get closer to the World Championships coming up starting this weekend in Las Vegas. Of course, Princess Auto, proud sponsor of curling in Manitoba and around the country. Not to mention Team Mike McEwen and Team Jennifer Jones. And the place where you'll find the best deals on the most unique assortment of tools and equipment around. Everything you need to complete the projects on your list or start something new is at Princess Auto. Visit them at one of two local locations or shop online 24-7, 365 and get those ideas rolling at princessauto.com. And uh, with the Moose game tonight, Jets back at home on Saturday. Uh, Great spot before and after the game is always Boston Pizza City Place. Whether you're having a few beers in the lounge or eating in the dining room with the family, it's just right next door to Canada Life Center. And if you're not going to the game, no better place to gather with your gang than your local Boston Pizza, watching the game on the big screen with big sound and enjoying those gourmet pizzas, famous Boston wings, and ice-cold schooners as well. And as always, you can get those game day deals and more by ordering online at bostonpizza.com. Well, yes, the Moose are back, and so is the Fink on WST. The pound-for-pound best backdrops of all of our guests. Dan is always in a great spot, and tonight he's where the Manitoba Moose are back in action at home, coming back off the road. Dan, what's up? Welcome back to Winnipeg. How was the road? What's going right, on? The, Welcome uh, back to the peg. How was the uh, long roadie? The uh, the pitfalls there of working off the phone when I can't actually see the screen on the other side. Uh, road trip was great. It was uh, two weeks. It was a bit of a grind. Uh, obviously started off real well for the Manitoba Moose. They had points in uh, each of the first four there. Set themselves up for some house money down the uh, the end of that swing and got into Illinois and ran into a little bit of troubles, mainly with the Rockford Icehawks. So they come out of the trip 3-2-1, and one, so mission accomplished. Obviously would like to pick up a couple of more points along the way, but uh, they got the job done on the road and now looking forward to uh, a little Canadian content here on this four-game homestand. Yeah, no doubt. Dad, by the way, just move the mic a little closer to your mouth if you're okay. We're just having oh, a little tougher uh, time hearing you. all sorts of issues here. You're used to, used to, you know, the headset. Yeah, definitely. Definitely, definitely a little bit better. Um, You know, overall, I mean, you look at the standings right now for the Manitoba Moose, and, you know, it's been amazing. This team has been anything but an offensive juggernaut this year. They've rotated through defensemen and through goaltenders all season long. And then you look up, and there they are, fourth in the Western Conference, still hanging in there in a really good spot. Um, 
you know, how, what's the mood around the team right now, knowing that they certainly are sort of destined to be a playoff team. They've gotten past the nerves of the NHL trade deadline, pretty much know the guys they're going at it. And now of course, into this homestand as they try to solidify their position in that Western conference and division. Yeah, the wild stat just a little bit ago was that the Moose were in fifth in the entire league and they didn't have a player in the top 125 in scoring. Absolutely. They were, until the last couple of games, the only team in the league that didn't have a player with 30 points. Now they have two and we'll probably have a bunch more on the horizon. But it's a team that's very excited. I mean, I think this stands for pretty much any team in the playoff race in the AHL this year because... It's been two years, and, and for some of these guys, uh, at least a little bit longer, that they haven't really had an opportunity. They haven't had that trophy at the end to fight for. They haven't had a playoff spot to battle for. And so now that's an opportunity. They have that objective that they need to reach beyond just playing for contracts, beyond just playing for their teammates, which are great reasons in of themselves. But when you're playing for a Stanley Cup, a Calder Cup, Memorial Cup, to whatever league you're in, that's that's what you're there to do, and so now they have an opportunity to go after a memorial. Excuse me, a, a Calder Cup, and when you look at what this team is, they're so deep, and getting deeper seemingly every week as they get healthier and healthier. And there really aren't a whole ton of weaknesses in the lineup, so uh, they're well built for the playoffs. They're a physical team. They're a hard team to play against, and you never know where the offense is coming from. Dan, fill us in on the playoff format right now. I mean, sometimes we're looking at divisional records. Sometimes we're looking at conference. We've got some teams below other teams that have clinched playoff spots. How are things going to work once we get to the final of the regular season? Okay, so this year, <laughs> this year we're working off play, uh, points percentage because every, there's three different uh, amounts of games that everyone's going to be playing. Moose this year playing 72. Some teams in their division are going to be playing 76. Pacific teams playing 68. So points percentage, big part of this one. Hence why you'll see the points not seemingly lining up uh, with the standings. So in the Central Division, at least, the top five teams will make the playoffs. The fourth and fifth team will play a three-game series. And then the winner of that series will move on to the more standard format with the five-game first round. And then on we go into the seventh. So currently, the Moose sitting in second in the Central Division, which if everything ended today, they'd play against the Milwaukee Admirals in that 2-3 slot. And uh, pretty much just business as normal, whereas the Chicago Wolves would wait a few extra days for that 4-5 uh, series to complete. In the Pacific Division, a couple more teams make the playoffs because they have, I believe it's nine teams in that division now. It's, uh, it continues to grow. Um, but yeah, so that Central Division, that's really all you need to worry about for the time being. Uh, certainly well situated there and uh, looking forward to although the Rockford Ice Hawks are slowly but surely gaining ground on the uh, Milwaukee Admirals so maybe not as clear cut as it once was maybe about a week or two well that's funny that you mentioned uh, Rockford because um, and again this is sort of the the weird part of teams that have what games they played I mean Milwaukee's played seven more games than Rockford and is up on them by nine points in the standings but then you look at the points percentage and it's not a big difference it's 556 for Milwaukee and 545 with Rockford. So, you know, you win two or three games in a row from the team that's catching up and you potentially move up without actually going forward. Listen, before we talk about tonight, you know, you just mentioned, you know, how this team continues to win games without any, you know, clear-cut offensive stars. Um, how much credit should Mark Morrison get for the job that he's done in his first year behind the bench as Moose head coach? 
a ton of credit. I mean, the, the coaching staff has done a fantastic job. I mean, when you consider this team has 22 players that have recorded 10 or more points on this season. Now, they did get uh, one addition in there in Morgan Barron to that group, so 21 throughout the whole season. That's impressive when you consider you're dressing 18 skaters a night. So they're working in guys to the lineup. They're developing players who have a ton of career best seasons out there. Um, they have got this team buying in, and you know what? As guys start to get healthy, maybe there were some. Uh, I don't want to say disgruntled. That's probably too too harsh a word to use. But some guys all of a sudden see their ice time dropping, and well, that's the competition, guys. You've got to fight for your ice time. So they sat everybody down, had a chat, said, "Hey, these are the roles that you might have to fill, and it's all about this team." And there's nothing above the team. Uh, when it comes to this group and they've kind of settled right back into that now so uh this is a group of guys that thinks every night that they can go out and win whether it's the chicago wolves who are the top team in the division that was an excellent game back on wednesday and a lot of fun to call or it's the rockford icehogs who seem to be the masters of the rope-a-dope of late uh, giving up a ton of shots and just scoring on a breakaway when they get it so uh every night they've got a chance to win because they lock into that team identity they know who they are as a team and uh, they play so well together so things need to change up guys have played in different roles because of all the covid issues because of all the injuries uh so there's nobody that's unfamiliar with a role that they might be put in throughout the way. And, of course, you've got guys like who are currently out with an injury. But Greg Morellis was at one point the first-line center for this team. When he comes back, he'll probably be in more of a depth role, which creates some great matchups for the Moose. Now, uh, you mentioned Morgan Barron, the new guy that came over in the Andrew Kopp trade. Um, you know, uh, most Winnipeggers that have been on the road have not seen him yet. Uh, tell us about the newest member of the Manitoba Moose, how he's looked, and uh, where he's fitting into Mark's lineup. Yeah, so it's exciting. Obviously, tonight will be uh, Morgan Barron's first game here in Winnipeg. So that's uh, yet another reason to come out to the rink to see the Moose in action today. But uh, yeah, it's it's kind of funny. I was talking to Eric Dubois earlier today, and he says, well, he's just another Moose player. Um, he's exactly fits into the mold. He's a big center, 6'4", 220 pounds. And talking to Jeff Malott, who's kind of the Moose perennial fitness competition winner at the beginning of the season, says, this is the guy that's going to knock me off that seat because he's an absolute horse. And, man, he is, shook his hand when I first met him and felt every bone in my hand crushing. Uh, he's a strong man and uh, good in the dot, and he's going to go to the net, and he's going to go to the net hard. And so still settling in maybe a little bit to the lineup, but uh, you know what? You can start to see where he's going to be real effective in front of that net and really fit well into this Moose identity. Dan Fink is the play-by-play -play voice of the Manitoba Moose, getting us ready for a busy week at home with four games uh, coming up before Sunday for the Moose. Uh, but tonight is uh, the uh, spring break staycation game, a great giveaway. Tee up what fans will see tonight if they uh, make their way down to Canada Life Centre. Sorry, one sec, costume change here. There we go. Bucket get hat my, night. Uh, get my uh, Get my fashion going here. This is springy, right? You look great. Um, no, this, <laughs> it really matches. It really brings out the suit. Um, the uh, Yeah, it's Bucket Hat Nights uh, with the Spring Break Staycation game. Going with the tropical vibe here tonight. There'll be some performers on the concourse, things like that. And, of course, first 3,000 fans in the building get this beautiful, beautiful bucket hat that I will be wearing all summer long. I might have to get an extra one because I'm probably going to wear through it. Um, this is this is this has been one that's been kind of on the list for the last couple of years, so we're glad that uh, we're finally able to get to it. It's uh, it's it's pretty cool. It's got the uh, the branding on the inside and everything, and uh, it's it'll fit it'll fit pretty.
pretty much every every noggin. It's a pretty big hat. So uh, looking forward to handing these out. And who knows? Maybe this will be one of those glorious nights where you uh, you give out a whole ton of hats and somebody begs a hat trick, and then they all end up on the ice because <laughs> you gave out three thousand hats. But uh, yeah, looking forward to a great week. Follow your dreams as well on on Sunday. That's a two o'clock game on April third. Where uh, if you haven't seen the jerseys yet, highly recommend checking out the social media feeds to to see those new Follow Your Dreams jerseys. Uh, they are once again immaculate and uh, it's going to be a big crowd on that Sunday. I think it's going to be over around 7,000, I think is what I've heard. So it's going to be rocking. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a, a great week here at Canada Life Centre with these four Moose games. Obviously, the Canadian competition, Laval in the house tonight and Toronto later on in the week. So really looking forward to these games. Going to be some good crowds. So there's uh, plenty of options with these four games to make it down to the rink and uh, plenty of reasons to make it down here tonight. Well, that is great. So first 3,000 fans get the uh, bucket hat at tonight's game. It's the spring break staycation game. And then the Moose at home tonight, tomorrow, Friday night, and then Sunday afternoon with the Jets-Kings game stuck in the middle there on Saturday night. Uh, great time to be in Winnipeg and off school. So if the kids are going crazy, you know, there's a lot of great hockey waiting for him downtown. Dan, thanks for doing this. Have a great call tonight. Thanks for having me on, Hus. Appreciate it, buddy. We'll talk soon. There it is, Dan Fink. Follow him on Twitter at Daniel the Fink. And can you hear his broadcast tonight online at 680cjob.com? All right. Um, hey, big thanks to uh, our friends over at Nick and Nikki DQ for their great support of Winnipeg Sports Talk. You know it well. Four locations in Winnipeg and Southern Manitoba. Of course, uh, the Niverville location, very popular in that growing town. A lot of excitement in Niverville about the uh, arrival of the Manitoba Junior Hockey League coming up with an expansion team in Niverville. Uh, if you're out there, make sure to pop by the Nick and Nicky DQ. They've got three in the city, the DQ Northgate with the drive through DQ Polo Park, and of course, the DQ St. Anne's and all three locations in Winnipeg now available to order on delivery at Skip the Ditches, DoorDash, and over at Uber Eats. <clears throat> Make sure you try the new Stack Burgers. They are absolutely phenomenal. And our friends at Canadian Club are ready for the summer. We are just days away from the official launch of the Ready to Drink Canadian Club and Ginger Ale. You can pick that up at your local Manitoba Liquor Marts. And next month, beginning in April, which I guess is Friday, You'll be able to pop in to your local Manitoba Liquor Marts, grab Canadian Club, and with it, you'll get a free can of the CC and Ginger to try. Make sure you do that the next time you're down at your local Manitoba Liquor Marts, and make sure you join us on Friday afternoon for another big marble race where we'll be giving away another Winnipeg Sports Talk hoodie in the collab we did with our friends over at Canadian Club. All right, we will get to the cool bet lines in a minute. Amazing games tonight in the National Hockey League. Uh, but let's bring in Michael Remus because there is a couple things we wanted to get to before we finish it up with the lines and get out of here. And that is a uh, an interesting rule change in the National Football League, Remus. And uh, it seemed like all the complaining after the epic Chiefs-Bills game finally knocked some sense into the National Football League. And yes, the Colts and Eagles putting forward a suggestion to guarantee both teams getting to touch the ball with possession in overtime. That has been passed. So what happened to the Bills last week and what happened to the Chiefs against the Patriots a couple of years ago will not be replicated in the postseason. But regular season overtime is going to stay the same. Yeah, we'll see what happens here. The one thing, you know, it's 
So I like that they're changing it because I think both teams should get to touch the ball. It's so much uh, the coin toss. I think the the league is skewing to favoring the offense, so it's a lot easier for a team you know, to march down the field, especially in that that Bills Chiefs game. Um, just who was it? The uh, the Bills were just so tired from having to defend the Chiefs on that those last couple of drives, and then to go do it again. Uh, I thought they were already at a disadvantage, and then you know losing uh, losing the coin toss there. We'll see how it works. I mean. Uh, I wonder if more teams are going to defer now so you know what the team does first and then maybe you can go for two. But, I mean, people are just going to get mad now when one team scores a touchdown, another team scores a touchdown, and then what? So the first team gets to go again and they kick a field goal and then the game game is done and everyone's going to be like, well, the other team should get to go answer. So we'll, we'll see uh, if people are going to get outraged, but I think it's a step in, in the right direction. Sometimes I wonder in the playoffs, like, why not just go play a full extra quarter? Um, why does it have to be sudden death? I guess you want that that sudden death style walk-off finish with everyone celebrating. Um, I guess, you know, in soccer, well, they and play. And I think with teams, and I think well, in soccer, they used to have the golden goal. And now yeah. they actually, if you go to extra time, you know, they play the full extra time. I think the thing is that football is just an incredibly taxing sport. And you know, if you're winning an overtime game, it puts you at a disadvantage in the following game. So the sooner the games are over, the better. But at the same time, you want to maintain the integrity and give the teams somewhat of an equal chance to win. And I know the people that, you know, have always said, just play defense. It's been a tough day for them today because they've finally done this. But I do, I keep on going back to the question, why now and why not after the 2019 AFC Championship game? Um, I'm not sure why. That being said, I think it's the right thing to do. I think it's better for the competitive integrity of the game. I, w- I would agree. I think it, you want to see both offenses get a shot. Um, I wonder if they would make two-point conversions mandatory or something. I, I don't know what, how they move forward with this. I like the, like the change because we would have liked to see Josh Allen respond. But now there's going to be all these, okay, who's got the advantage? Is it the team that goes first? I guess because you might get a third opportunity if the second team matches, although the second team could go for two, and then it's, it's over. So um, I, kinda, I, do, I do like this. I mean, regular season, it's still, if you get a touchdown on the first possession, uh, you do win. And I guess they want to keep games short. And we've seen so many overtime games, they'll go, go long too, so... I, I again, I like the change, moving the right direction. Why it took so long, Hustler? Great question. Uh, as I guess because Tom Brady didn't benefit from it, right? Is that <laughs> is that what it is? That's a theory that some people yeah. some people hold. Um, any any news on uh, Brady trying to get his trade to Miami going on? I know Mike, uh, new head coach of the Miami Dolphins, said um, that that was fake news today. Um, so he's moving on. But Andy Dalton does have a uh, a new home. He's now a member of the New Orleans Saints. Yeah, I don't know what to make of that. Is he the starting quarterback? Is it T- Taysom Hill, uh, Jameis Winston, or is what what kind of role is Andy Dalton gonna play? I mean, he's pretty hit and miss, mostly miss these days. But I, I would think he's a capable backup. He's had success before. I mean, didn't put the Bengals over the top like uh, like Joe Burrow has, but I mean, he was he was fine for a bit, but now he's get, getting kind of older. Yeah, I mean, you know what? He's kind of an adequate backup, and we'll see yeah. what happens with Winston. I mean, I think it makes sense, you know, for Winston to be the starter there going forward. But you do want to have, you know, an adequate backup in case you need it, especially when you're not putting thirty-five or forty million dollars into your starting QB position. 
it may very well need it. And that's an interesting situation for the National Football League. Uh, Niners have said that they're not cutting J Jimmy Garoppolo, but that Trey Lance will, quote, start sooner as opposed to later. And uh, Julius Peppers uh, is uh, you know, kicking around. Actually, not Julius, Julius Peppers. I was about to say Julius. Julius. You probably saw Jay Peppers or something in the highlight. <laughs> and the headline. Wait, wait like, a second. He's not a safety. No, no, no. It's Jabril <laughs> Peppers, who is uh, moving over from the New York Giants to the Peppers on a one-year deal worth up to $5 million. bucks. Uh, he joins a group along with Devin McCourty, Adrian Phillips, and uh, third-year guy Kyle yeah. Duggar. I'm, I'm fascinated to see what the Patriots look like, especially with Josh McDaniels gone now, Mac Jones with one year of experience under his belt, and uh, it really being Bill Belichick's show going into this season with the sophomore quarterback. Yeah, and I, I don't know if, like, the, I guess the... AFC East is maybe the more interesting it's been in a couple of years here with the Dolphins trading for Tyree Kill, and they got Jalen Waddell, who is going to have to take a step. Uh, the Jets, they're not interesting, but um, the, we know the Bills, you know, defending, uh, you know, they went pretty close to the Chiefs in the playoffs, and the Patriots, I think they're ready for a bit of a bounce back here um, in Mac Jones' second season. No doubt about it. All right, let's get to these cool bet lines tonight because there is a uh, some amazing games. I mentioned that with this the earlier uh, today when uh, talking to Stephen Wino, 10 40-win teams in the National Hockey League. Eight of them are going head-to-head -to -head tonight in the league. We started off with the Leafs and the Bruins. You know, this last night was minus 120 for Boston. Obviously, a lot of steam coming in on the home team tonight because the Bruins are now minus 139 favorites and the Leafs are plus 118 underdogs. Uh, the other game uh, out east, well, there's two actually other game out east that features 40-win teams. The Rangers at Penguins. Penguins are minus 161 faves at home. Rangers plus 136. And a number that hasn't really moved at all today, Tampa Bay minus 143 at home against the Hurricanes, who are plus 122. Canes, as Stephen Wino just mentioned, beat up on the Caps last night 6-1, to one, but did have to travel playing the second end of back-to-back -back games. The other 40 versus 40 game tonight is the Colorado Avalanche against the Calgary Flames. The Flames minus 133, Colorado an underdog plus 113. That was plus 102 when I did lock shot picks last night. Unfortunately, it's changed because no Nate McKinnon tonight. Big loss yeah. for the Colorado just, Avalanche. Just on that Nathan McKinnon. Um, so he was in a fight on the weekend with Matt Dumba and he's got a hand injury and Jared oh. ben Bednar did not sound very positive about it, so he might be out for a while. That's something to watch for with Nathan McKinnon. Now, the Colorado's, like, so deep. They've had, you know, everyone's seemingly been out at some point. Makar, Manton, Lanniskog. McKinnon's even been out. So hopefully, you know, it's not long-term, but, I mean, that's the worst when you're oh, when you're stark player in a fight. What a terrible way to uh, to go out. Like, yeah, sometimes discretion is the better part of valor. Um, so there you have it. Four incredible games in the league tonight. Other games on tap. Islanders minus 154 favorites against the Blue Jackets, who are back home at plus 131 as home dogs. <clears throat> Carolina. <laughs> Carolina's minus 400 favorites, and the puck line is minus two and a half, taking on the Montreal Canadiens. I know Dusty uh, earlier today on the lock shop. By the way, check out today's lock shop. Lots of fun. Hit the golf this weekend and more. Um, he has a minus 189 ticket on the Panthers to score over three and a half goals, which to me was a bizarre number 
But I guess when you see how well the Panthers are playing and how often they score, it does make some sense. Um, elsewhere, Wild, a massive minus 323 home favorite against the Philadelphia Flyers. The Ottawa Senators playing with heavy hearts after the passing of their owner, Eugene Melnick, last night are in Nashville to take on the Predators. Ottawa plus 180 on the road, Preds minus 217. And the final game of the night, go Ducks, go. All Jet fans will be pulling for Anaheim to beat the Dallas Stars and eat up one of those games in hand. Dallas, a minus 169 favorite. And the Anaheim Ducks, a plus 143 favorite. Uh, Jets, of course, off to Buffalo this afternoon. Tomorrow, they will take on Buffalo, an early game at 6 o'clock. We will have Murata Tesh join us. And big announcement, big guest announcement, Reem. We've waited for this for a while. I did the CGOB pregame show with him on the weekend. And I'm so excited to tell folks that Trevor Kidd will join us tomorrow on the show. We'll get his thoughts on what he's seen from the Jets lately and their predicament going into Buffalo tomorrow night and Toronto on Thursday. Yeah, I've been bugging Trevor to come on. He wouldn't respond to my text messages, and uh, you got you got him. So uh, that'll he be. He said he's got some beef with you. Does I'll, he? I'll, I'll, yeah, I was yeah, always. We always wasn't got too along. pleased with you at all. No, of course, he ghosted he's me so many times. So he loves you. He said at times it was working. You know, he's doing a bunch of different things right now, but he is contributing on CGOB uh, for some games. So he was been at recent games. He was there on Sunday. And uh, he'll be on Winnipeg Sports Talk tomorrow, so make I, sure you join us for that. I'm just kidding. Around. A couple other, uh, a couple other notes here. Um, before we wrap, yeah, about the GMs meetings, salary cap going up one million next year. I'm surprised at that. I thought this would be yeah. flat again this year, considering all the games that were missed. This year. And um, yeah, Frank was saying it doesn't sound like it's going to go up for a while because the players have to pay the pandemic debt back to the owners. So we will see about that. I don't know if you saw this Kyle Dubas clip where they asked him about officiating and he kind of just laughed. And I was like, everything's great with the officiating. We're doing fine. There's no problems at all. And I think people just want to see some accountability um, when they when they make. Well, errors. here's the thing about yeah. refereeing. You know, and everyone is always on the ref's case. But the NHL's lost a number of veteran officials and mm -hmm. they moved some out. Bozos like Tim Peel. And... <laughs> There has been a real challenge at yes. every level to get good quality officials. I mean, these kids are treated like garbage by some of the idiot parents that are at these minor hockey games. And I mean, it goes through, it drives them out of the sport. And I mean, that is absolutely, I mean, it is a problem that trickles all the way down to the grassroots level because people don't grow up thinking, oh, I want to make the National Hockey League as a ref, but you can't play the games without the referees. So I always like working with Hockey Manitoba on the Respect and Sport program and the Thank the Stripes weekend because I think it's incredibly important. And yes, I'm guilty of it too. There's a garbage call against your team and you're pissed off about it and you talk about it and you rant about it. But in reality, these games doesn't happen without the referees. So while you would like it to be better, yes. Um, but I think there's real significant challenges at every level of the sport when it comes to officiating. And a big part of that is driving out younger referees early on that don't need to take the crap that they take from a lot of people going out to these games. So um, I love the programs, the programs that they've developed to try to get 
you know, junior players that are finishing their career. We've seen a number of U Sports players as well go into the program afterwards because first and foremost, you got to be able to skate at a really high level to hang handle officiating in the National Hockey League. Um, and that is going to be something, but it's not going to be fixed overnight, Reem. Uh, but I do think that they have, you know, some important initiatives happening to fill the funnel of qualified referees. Uh, because I'll tell you what, you want to get to the National Hockey League, the best opportunity one could possibly have is be a good skater and get into officiating because, God, we know that there's a demand there right now. Yes, uh, very well said, Hustle. A lot of people agreeing you with Chad. I think refing is hard, although, I, but I do think that they, some mistakes have been made. I will say, as I was a teenager and I umpired uh, slow pitch softball, and like I will go home crying in tears. Um, it's first of all, like softball, you think you know the rules, but there's a lot, you know, intricacies that you forget about that come into play. Also, you're making a call every ball and strike. I mean, if you want to be a hockey ref, just put away your whistle and let them go at it. <laughs> like, you have to make a little every ball and strike in softball you got parents yelling at you so it was it was horrible um the one thing to wrap up i did we didn't get to this yesterday i wanted to touch on this uh over the weekend it was actually friday night after the jets game the foo fighters putting out the tweet oh, announcing wow. the death of um taylor hawkins i was floored by that uh i mean him and dave grohl were, were bros he's been in the band since 97 um and I mean, Dave, for Dave Grohl, he was in Nirvana, the drummer when Kurt Cobain died. Now he's a sing singer in Foo Fighters and his drummer died 50 years old, had a family. Those guys incredibly tight. Um, they followed up today with a tweet that they're going to cancel the up all their upcoming tour dates. That did include one here in in uh, September. Oh, so, so, that, that, so that's done. No Foo Fighters in so, September. So uh, I don't know what's going to happen with with the band going forward. Maybe Dave plays under another name but um i don't know if they're gonna it doesn't i don't know if they're gonna continue as food fighters going forward um again uh, very just I mean, a very, stunning a stunning yeah. loss and i mean i mean for my money pound for pound maybe yeah. the best rock band in the last 20 years and frankly i will put the food fighters catalog up against many of the greats and i know sometimes you know you need to give more time for them to be recognized with the best ever. Mm -hmm. uh, but Dave Grohl's career on his own, one of the best in the history of rock music. And um, listen, I'm a big fan of the Foo Fighters. I know you are too. So, I mean, that was um, that was devastating news for so many fans of the band. Gone way too early at just 50 years old. I think that's what made it that much more yeah. stunning of the, uh, the nature that it happened. Yeah, I spent some of the weekend, I mean, uh, when I saw them here in 2000. Seven, and I saw him at uh, Law Palooza, one of the best shows I've ever seen in, in the rain. And I mean, Taylor Hawkins, he could he could drum and he could sing, and you know, watch you know every video. He just seems so happy all the time, playing with legends like Rush. And uh, at the live in Hyde Park, I watched the weekend. He's playing, you know, singing uh, while Jimmy Page is playing uh, rock and roll. Then he's playing the drums, and Dave Grohl singing. They just seem to have such a good, you know, so happy all the time and have such a good time. And you know, fifty. I was, I was, you know, cele these celebrity deaths, Hess, uh, the last couple months where we had Bob Saget, Scott Hall, Taylor Hawkins, it's been, it's been rough for celebrity deaths the last bit. Uh, again, very, again, very sad. Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, um, you know, you just mentioned where you'd seen them. I was at that show here in Winnipeg and one of the coolest musical experiences I've ever had 
We were at the Super Bowl in New York, <clears throat> and I had a couple buddies that had won the Super Bowl trip uh, and were staying in the Bud Light Hotel, and Bud Light put on a couple of, you know, exclusive events. Um, and Libel was with me because Gary was in Sochi. And the guy running this event for Bud Light happened to be a buddy of Libel's from Winnipeg that was living in Toronto, so got Matt a ticket through it. I mean, this was an impossible ticket to get. You couldn't buy it on a secondary market. And my buddies that had won the trip got a pass from somebody else that was doing something else that night. And we got to go in, and I'll always remember, we went into the show, and it was like this massive tent, and up right above us, I said Bill Cower was there, and then I look over, and Kate Upton was canoodling with one Justin Verlander. And at that point, I'm like, God damn, that Verlander has the life, man. 30 mil a year, <laughs> winning the World Series, and he's got the most beautiful woman in the world grinding him. And then obviously they ended up getting married. But they out came, and we didn't know. It was just the Bud Light concert. And the Zac Brown band played. And I was familiar with them a little bit. People really loved that. They finished up. They said, don't worry, we've got another act coming out. And then about 15 minutes later, out comes Dave Grohl and the Foo Fighters. And this was just after he had had that, what did he break his leg or something, Reem? And he was off the off touring for yeah. nine months or whatever. Um, He came out and played that show. And something that I'll never uh, I'll never forget. So uh, glad to have the opportunity to see them then. And hopefully at some point they'll be back out to play those songs because they mean so much to so many people. But uh, it won't be the same without Taylor Hawkins, who was, I mean, founding member and as much a part of the Foo Fighters as Dave Grohl himself. Yeah, I think he wrote in his book that they just had this relationship. They were like brothers from another mother and uh, couldn't imagine doing, doing it without him. So I don't know what's going to happen what's going to happen going forward but there seems like it's going to take some time and and figure it out so again that was that one uh her i texted my friends and was like no like and it was so it was so shocking because the foo fighters broke it the story themselves usually when there's a celebrity death you hear on like news story or tmz it was just this um and you hear maybe something happened and you're waiting for confirmation this was straight up from the band putting it out and again very uh very yeah, well, everyone I know has been playing a lot of Foo Fighters for the last few days, yeah. remembering Taylor Hawkins going forward. Um, hey, by the way, Cool Bet lines tonight. If you want to get on it and you haven't already played a Cool Bet, use the promo code WST on your first deposit. We'll double it up to $200. Um, that's going to do it for us. Trevor Kidd on the show tomorrow. Murata Tesh as well. We will get ready for Jets Buffalo. Uh, of course, two huge games for the clubs. They head on the road against Buffalo and Toronto before coming back to Winnipeg for the LA Kings on Sunday night. Thanks again to all of our sponsors, including Cool Bet Canada, Canadian Club, the Nick and Nicky DQ Group, Boston Pizza, Princess Auto, Little Brown Jug, Not Auto Corp, Royal Sports, Manitoba Battery, Culligan Water, Vita Health Fresh Market, and our friends downtown at F Apparel. Big thanks to everyone that joined us today on YouTube. Thanks to you podcast listeners as well. And a big thanks to Michael Remus for making it happen, getting us on and off the air. Folks, thanks for being with us. Have a great night tonight. Enjoy the ice game. Enjoy the moose. And uh, we'll see you tomorrow right here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Oh, my God. Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. 
Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com. 